We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, to Tuesday night, we'll get swiping. Jordan Canales will come in and we'll do some footy tinder. There's still plenty making news and we'll give you the latest on Eric Hipwood's tribunal case. Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital, one 736 736 Great to be back with you. Uh, we've got a big few hours uh, lined up for you. Uh, don't forget at 8 o'clock, our uh, Future Stars program, all thanks to Bravo Management. Jai Bond is the Oakley Chargers talent manager who's going to join us. Uh, some big performances from some Oakley Chargers uh, for Vic Metro over the weekend. We'll get his take on that and a few other things in the build-up uh, to the rest of the carnival and then what's to come before the draft. Uh, with our biases back at 8.30, then I'll be back with you from 9 till 10 for plenty more Sporting Capital. We'll catch up with BP and preview a big night and get his take on what's been an eventful 24 hours at Wimbledon as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Harcourt's open line is always exactly that. Jury still deliberating in the Eric Hipwood tribunal case at the moment. He has pled not guilty to careless or intentional um, contact with the umpire in the game, uh, the Lions against the uh, Dogs on last Thursday night. Um, AFL want one week if it's found careless. They want two weeks if it's found to be intentional. Uh, so we will give you an update on that uh, as soon as we can. A couple of things I just want to throw out at you tonight. Um, the floating fixture we'll hear from Travis Alders on Sports Day yesterday is uh, is one of those things. But I something interesting that Nick Rewalt said in regards to the Collingwood Footy Club uh, last night on the couch. Um, I just want to get your take on this. And there's a couple of elements of it. We'll get swiping on this in footy Tinder, but I'd like you to just go a little deeper for me. I'd almost like you as an astute observer of your footy club, uh, you know it in and out. I want to get your take on the weaknesses of your footy club. The more and more I see of the pies, the more and more I think that they are in contention to win it this, this year. They're, I mean, there's not a, there's not a weakness within their game. So That's I, big. Yeah, I think, they, I think they can win it. Wow. Their best footy is stacking up against the best teams, Fremantle, Melbourne, uh, up there against Gold Coast, the way they yeah, fought man. back. You know, get to a prelim, which it looks like they're, they're a really good chance of doing, then anything can happen. So that's a massive call. So we can, we'll can we we'll deal with the, whether Collingwood can win the premiership or not in a bit of footy tinder later. But the idea that they don't have a weakness, that's a, that's a massive call. Because I think every team has a weakness. So, but, but far be it from me to tell you, especially some of you Collingwood fans, I'm a little bit skittish after the abuse I cop for just saying that you might miss the eight on percentage in my run-of-the-mill top eight predictor. I, cop, I was copping stuff from Collingwood fans in the US uh, over the weekend. So far be it from me to just uh, risk your wrath again 
by me telling you what your weaknesses may or may not be from a statistical point of view, why don't you shine the mirror on your footy club tonight? It doesn't have to just be Collingwood. I'd like everyone to look at this, especially if your team's in the running for top eight. You tell me, what's the weakness of your side that concerns you heading into finals for the 10 teams that can still make it? What's the weakness that you think might be holding you back? Um, Tim Watson listed a couple of weaknesses for some teams earlier today, and I'll play them for you, but I just want to throw that out there. What's the weakness for your footy team heading into finals? Because with all due respect, Nick Rewatt, one of the greatest ever, far be it from me to argue with him, but I would say that every team has a weakness, and I certainly think Collingwood have some. But you tell me, what's the weakness of your football club? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Or zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen off the temper text temper a mattress like no other. Uh, now Joey in Roville's been waiting really patiently uh, to tidy up some loose ends from the Maccas run. Joey, hello mate. How you going, Sammy? I'm ha- always happy to hang on because you always give me my chance to always have my say. So You're a good it doesn't man. matter. That's all right. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I, that's all right. I was talking about about Tom Mitchell. We were having a conversation about the same time last year about this, and uh, his name's come up again, and he said that he doesn't want to go. So if he does, say, if Hawthorne's adamant they want to offload him, can the coaching staff sort of say to him, well, we can't guarantee you a game next year. You might have to play a lot of box hills because we're going to be playing a lot of the young kids because you can't offload someone who's under contract if they don't want to go, can you? No. So he'd have to agree to be traded if he is under contract. So that would need to be worked through with him. And Alistair Clarkson had a really good success rate of doing that with, you know, Sam Mitchell. Ironically enough, uh, Jordan Lewis, he did that with towards the latter stage of their career. I'm not saying that Tom Mitchell's at the latter stage of his career, but this is what Tom Mitchell had to say today, Rowie. Yeah, I'm very happy here. I love it here. Uh, I'm contracted for next year as well. So, yeah, I've um, you know built so many good relationships within the club and um, yeah, I think, you know, have probably played my best footy um, at Hawthorne over my career and definitely do love it here. I, I, I would love to, you know, see where this journey takes us. Uh, I think everyone, all the players, all the staff are all on board with where we're going and yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's been a tough year, um, win-loss-wise, but, um, you know, I think it'd be great to see where we can take things. So that was uh, Tom Mitchell, who did start on the bench uh, on the weekend in the loss to GWS and had come back into the team uh, after being left out. So it, it's, it is a really interesting one, given he is a Brownlow medalist, Joey. So he clearly wants to stay at the Hawks um, and has every right to do that. Um, so they're going to have to just find a way now to either have that conversation if they don't see him in their plans moving forward, if Sam Mitchell does want to play, you know, the younger midfielders. And he's shown before, you know, he's, he's picked Finn McGuinness over Liam Shields on numerous occasions this year. Um, so he's shown a want to give the young midfielders as much game time as he possibly can to try and accelerate their development. So that's just going to be an interesting conversation, Joe, as you say, between uh, player and club. And he might say, well, you know, what's the future hold for me? Um, and they might say, well, um, you, you know, if, you, if you're playing well, you'll be picked. But, you know, we might, if we've got the choice between you and say, this guy, we're going to go with this guy until he gives us a reason why we just can't pick him anymore. I don't know. But he, I mean, Tom Mitchell's a very, very good player. We know that. So um, very, very good players, you know, there'd be a lot of clubs that I think would love to have a Tom Mitchell uh, in their lineup. It's just a matter of whether Hawth- where Hawthorne see themselves in their rebuild and whether they believe that he is a part of what success that they might have in the future. When Alistair Clarkson first got to Hawthorne, he had to have those conversations with guys like Nick Holland. You know, great to the club and say, 
you're not in our plan. So I need your help in developing these next guys, the Jared Roughheads, the um, Lance Franklins of the world, and that might be at the expense of your spot in the side. But I think Tom Mitchell's got a lot more football left, so it might be, you know, it might be a conscious uncoupling, Joe, but we'll wait and see. Always great to chat to you, mate. There's a ton of people lining up uh, to give me their team's weaknesses, uh, but Nicholas in Lang Warren's also been waiting for a while. Uh, sorry, Nick, to keep you waiting, but you wanted to talk about North Melbourne. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for taking my call. No, thank you for um, ringing. No, no problem. Um, so I guess going back to the whole Adrian email and whether he's got any more right than anyone else to, to sort of to send that through or mm. anything like that, I think what he had to say, I think a lot of North Melbourne members are probably feeling at the minute. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of what he said is pretty true and something does need to be done at the moment. Um, but I guess the, the fact that it gets picked up in the media, I think it only happens because he is part of the Coterie group. Um, if anyone else was to send that email, it sort of would have just been... I guess no one would have even probably taken another look at it, especially from the media. Um, so I think the fact that he, he does send that email out, it does um, give a bit more weight um, just because of the fact of, of his position. Um, so I think on behalf of all the other members, I think it, it is a good thing that, that um, he's keeping the club accountable um, because there is a lot of things that are going wrong at the moment um, and, and things do need a change. So I'm grateful that... Um, that he's sort of putting out there what, what a lot of our members are probably thinking um, and probably would never be able to put out there. Um, and going back to, I guess, if another coach could do a better job, um, probably probably not. Um, but I think it's it's the way that we're, we're losing at the moment and sure. the fact that it's been, the margin has just been so big with, without any sort of um, glimmer of hope. I think that's where, I guess, us as supporters are sort of, um, sort of thinking, well, maybe there does need to be a change. Um, not not so much that we think that we should be winning games um, or, or um, that sort of thing, but we just need to be showing a little bit more than what we are at the moment, I think. Hey, um, Nicholas, thanks so much for holding and thanks so much for ringing and sharing your thoughts uh, as a North Melbourne member. It is greatly appreciated. And um, in all of this, when things like this happen, it's so hard to find the hope and to find the positive and when you're long suffering with fans and just St Kilda fans will tell you and there's a lot of fans that have gone through really really troubled times most clubs do um that that's who I feel for first and foremost it is the fans um because you live and breathe it and you you, you rock up to work and you cop all the you know you you rock up to your workplace and you'll be copping it oh look at your mob again over the weekend and and, and especially the young fans as well so it is the fans that I think, and yes, of course, the players and the club and all that kind of stuff, but the fans pay to be involved in this, and that's the difference. They, they, they pay their hard-earned to be a member, and it's hard when you feel like there isn't much hope going on at the moment. So hang in there, Nicholas, and I really appreciate you ringing in. Uh, Eric Hipwood has been found guilty of careless contact. The tribunal, though, has not, um, has not gone with the AFL's request of a week Suspension for careless. He will be fined $2,500. He will not miss any matches. He is free to play. So he's been found guilty of careless contact. $2,500 fine. Have your say on that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Jordan is in Mill Park. I asked the question before, after Nick Rewalt says that he can see... Um, he can see Collingwood being in the running. He sees them as a contender now. He can't see a weakness in their game. I just was curious to you as a fan who watches your team in week in, week out. What is the weakness of your team heading in to finals? And Jordan's in Mill Park. G'day, Jordan. Hey, 
Um, yeah, look, as much as I'd love to agree with Nick, I um, I think for the first time in probably a decade, our midfield um, is, is letting us down a bit. I think on the weekend, to three-quarter time, Chris, uh, Pendlebury, Adams, Tagoe, um weren't winning weren't winning the ball enough. Um, and it's been a common story for the year. So I think our midfield is uh, the part that's letting us down at the moment, which differs from most Collingwood fans' opinion of our forward line. Um, that's holding up quite well, and um, we're scoring with ease at the moment. Yeah, so at the moment, um, just with your midfield, your number, you're ranked 7-8th for centre clearances, um, but you are, I think, 8th for, for clearance differential, but when it comes to centre clearances, you are ranked 7-8th, so you've, you've picked up on something um, that's pretty spot on there, Jordan. That would see uh, statistically is a weakness, the centre clearances. As far as your scoring goes... Um, you rank ninth for goals per game. Uh, my check leading your goal scoring, and then Ginevan and Henry are your other two. That is a bit of a concern. I think you're a key forward light, and I also think that when you've got second-year players who are second and third, that is a massive positive, but you also have to account for the fact that as second-year players, at some point they're going to have some down weeks. So do you have enough underneath uh, to come through to cover those down weeks? So it's a brilliant thing, but it can also be a, a bit of a a double-edged sword in that situation. So you've picked up on a couple of uh, of ones that I think are spot on there, Jordan. Uh, Raf's in Meadow Heights. Uh, a weakness for the Blues, Raf. Sammy, how are you, buddy? Good, mate. Yeah, Carlton's weakness is its injuries at the moment. There's, I don't think there's a team in the top eight that's used 39 players. Um, we cannot get a run on where the team is settled. Every week there's a couple of changes because of the injuries. Mm. Key backmen, obviously, on ballers, even forward line players. And I think that's their weakness at the moment is their key injuries because every week there's at least a couple of new injuries that they miss out. That consistency needs to stay for a team to actually really challenge, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, and you've copped those to mainly one area, Raf, which is uh, your defence, which, you know, I was just full of praise for how the, the Carlton midfield covered for the Carlton um, defence in their win against Frio. Um, disappointing that they couldn't do that for the, the second week in a row uh, against St Kilda. And obviously uh, they had the goal-kicking issues, which didn't help. Uh, and St Kilda got a, uh, a brave and gutsy win, a gritty win against the Blues. But uh, no, you've picked up on one there, I reckon, Raph, and, and I appreciate it. Uh, Mark is in Bacchus Marsh. Mark, uh, a weakness for the Dogs. Oh, g'day, mate. Uh... I think we all know what it pretty much is. Mm-hmm. Being the back line and uh, basically with the bigger forward lines getting hold of us and uh, running the mark, just like Geelong did in the first quarter a few weeks back. Now, honestly reckon you got to play... I've given this some... It's not just a one-person like, man, one manoeuvre and all of a sudden everything's fixed. I reckon you, I, I like to play Shaky as centre half back, but Norton to go back as well as a floating, floating intercept defender. They're talking about a doggy not having an intercept defending marker. Mm. Well, Norton could do that. He could actually do that really, really well. So Norton could do that fantastically well. Then you play Shaky centre half back. Now that would also mean they can be a swing person. Then we've got the player that I still reckon is underutilised and he should be in the team and playing in the forward line. That's Mitch Wallace. Mm. So and we've also got the other big fella coming back from his knee. 
Um, Josh Bruce, oh, yeah. but that's it's it's tough to come back from those knees. We're seeing Eric Kipwood's taking that's some right. time, so I wouldn't. I don't think you can put everything in the fact that Josh Bruce is returning. He he will hopefully be a welcome addition, but I don't think he's going to be the the saviour. Um, at least not straight away that that you'd be hoping for, Mark. And uh, mate, you you put always a lot of thought into uh, into your feeling and into your ideas in and around the dogs, and I appreciate you doing so. The Norton to defence one is interesting because yes, he's fourth in the Coleman at the moment, but I do something. A part of me just wants to see it tried. What would it be like to do, um, as Mark was saying there, to let him just take to the airwaves in defence, and then you put. Eugle Hagen, and you put Shackie up forward, you might bring Mitch Wallace in, and then Mitch Hannon, who played a really important role for them up forward, and you just take a little bit of a different style of forward line into the next few weeks. Um, they've, they've got a pretty much, you know, they've got a, they're up against it now, the Western Bulldogs, to, to try and make the eight. I still think they can, but they have to find a way to create intercept possessions and, and then score from intercepts. Um, I'd love to see them try that experiment with Norton in defence. I mean, at the moment, it might be a season saver. Who knows? But I'd love to see them give it a crack. Doggies fans, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. So the question was for tonight, Nick Rewalt says he believes Collingwood's a contender. He can't see a weakness. I think every team has one. What are your teams? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Back after this. Listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. I look at Melbourne, and to me, that's the area that they need to improve. And you can between now and the finals. They'll definitely be there in the mm. finals when the whips are cracking. But right now, the functionality of their key forwards yeah. is a major concern. That for is, me. it is. It's a, it's the one area they've got to get right. If I could pick a second side outside Essendon, it would be Sydney because of the way they play, right? Mm-hmm. Having said that, I don't think they play the way that they used to play Sydney. And I know you touched on it on the couch last night. I've been thinking exactly the same thing is that, you know, they can be a really good ball-moving side, mm. but they're not a great contested physical side, no. aggressive side anymore. And that was their DNA. Yeah, it was. And I reckon that now is the area that they need to concentrate most on. That's uh, the Wisp, Tim Watson, uh, on SEN Breakfast this morning. The question is, what's the weakness of your team? Nick Rewalt on the couch last night saying he believes Collingwood are a real contender. Um, he can't see a weakness in that side. And I thought that was interesting. I think all teams have them. But I'd like you to tell me what you think yours is. We all know the things that the teams do well. But what's got you concerned going in to this back part of the year? Finals, 10 teams can still make it. What's the weakness for your team? Collingwood are the number one intercept uh, team in the competition, but no Darcy Moore. We're not sure for how long. Uh, and thank you to someone who just pointed through that um, Mitch Wallace is actually out for the year with a foot injury, so um, he can't come back into that dog's forward line. Hey, we'll do some footy tinder on the other side of this as well, and I'll get through a heap of your texts that have come through about your team's weakness. And just repeating, Eric Hipwood, just a $2,500 fine. Tribunal found it to be careless. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, 
Uh, just from you, off the text, 0433981116, the temper text, temper a mattress like no other. The weakness for your team. Uh, Tigers weakness not being able to hold a lead by leading uh, by more than 20 points and giving away stupid free kicks. Uh, just on that, um, Damien Hardwick spoke uh, in regards to the Tigers free kick situation on AFL 360. I just want to play that for you. We play the game a little bit differently to most, but in fairness, it's it's not good enough. You know, we've spoken to our playing group. We've changed a little bit of our coaching from the bye. We've tried to to win that KPI most weeks. Uh, Last week we had a bad one, but we've started to coach technique aspects like uh, two high tackles or in the back because it's cost us games, no question. Um, We've been unfortunate at various stages, but we've just got to get better. the ones that we give away, if I'm being perfectly honest, I reckon most are there. It's the ones we probably got to get better at tracking free kicks. We don't get enough, which is a little bit of a challenge. In this specific instance, like winning the free kick count, I, I'd be surprised if that's a front of mind thing when you go into a game. It's not a front of mind thing, but yeah. it definitely would be in, in review and post-analysis. The coaches would be looking going, okay, where are the three or four or five here that we give away that we've got to be better at? At the moment, Richmond's tackle percentage is nearly the worst in the league, 57%. Mm. I wonder how many of those are actually free kicks against, like high tackles or um, or tackles that, that, or free kicks they've given away in tackles because that is an ineffective tackle. I thought that was fascinating, Damien Hardwick. That's just wonderful maturity and ownership, isn't it? That's instead of saying, well, we can never win a free kick count, and he made a joke about it after the game, saying, hey, we won the free kick count. Um, but isn't that just brilliant leadership? To go, okay, well, we're not winning it, so why? Is it just, do we just blame the umpires and thump our fist on the desk, or do we look a bit deeper here? Is there something that we're not doing well? And they've decided that it's actually something they're not doing well, so they want to make that change, and that was Nathan Buckley on his view. I, I just thought that was brilliant insight from from Damien Hardwick. Uh, your weaknesses. Look, I'm Collingwood. We don't have a big key power forward. We have points of difference up forward, but those big keys win finals. My check needs help. That's from Matt in Q. Uh, hi, Sam. The D's weakness is Ben Brown. Five useless games in a row. Can't take a mark, and it always competes for the mark and often spoils his teammate in the better positions chance to mark it. Uh, Adam Tomlinson would be a much better option at full forward. At least he'd hold on to a few marks. Brown has got to go. Um, I thought Ben Brown was the, the, the one of the major reasons why Melbourne won the premiership last year. When he came in to the team, they were eighth for scoring, and they, then they got themselves up into the top four. Um, Tom McDonald was crucial as well. Sorry, still a bit crook and just had to cough. Um, Appreciate the text, though, Greg, including it. There's certainly an issue with what's going on for them inside Ford 50 at the moment. They're, I think, eighth, uh, sixth or seventh for scoring at the moment. Uh, Alex says, Pies weakness to their back line with Roughhead retired, the midfield getting older, like Pendles and Sidey. We can only go to an elimination final. Off the text, Pies weakness, midfield depth and pace, lack of quality uh, key position forward and lack of depth. Uh, Tigers have inconsistent injuries, mostly midfield is causing a weakness in clearances. So Dusty's expected to miss a couple. Um, hopefully they get Prestia back this week. And Neil Baum saying today that, yeah, it's because of uh, Dusty's interrupted pre-season that that hamstring has taken place. And wasn't he back to full awesomeness? He was just back to full Dusty in that first half on the weekend. Sammy O'Barrick for North Melbourne. I wanted to stand up for Dave Noble. Um, I'll read a few more of those out uh, as well. Uh, but let's get into this. On the Sporting Capital. It's time to start swiping with Footy Tinder. 
All right, this is where we look at some of the biggest statements made by the biggest names in the game. We swipe left if we disagree, and we swipe right if we agree. And I get a super like too, uh, but you only get one of those because if you you um you have to start paying for Tinder if you uh, want to do more than one super like a day. And if you have to start paying for Tinder, then as we've said a few times, there's a problem. Uh, Jordan Canellis does a ripping job of not only producing this show a couple of days a week, but uh, on AFL Nation commentary, uh, his voice was heard all around the world on ESPN when the Socceroos uh, did what the Socceroos did uh, to get themselves into uh, the next World Cup. Uh, it's always a pleasure to welcome him to uh, set the table for us for, for footy Tinder. Hello, mate. Evening. How are we all? Uh, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm upright, which I wasn't <laughs> yesterday, so that's always good. Um, thanks for filling in, uh, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, where are we starting, please? Uh, let's start off with what we've just been talking about. But uh, on the the other part of what Nick Rewalt said, which we heard the audio before when he was talking about Collingwood have no weakness. But the first part of that grab was we said Collingwood. He said Collingwood can win the flag this year. He believes that they are a, a contender. To, they're a contender to win the 2022 Premiership. Are Collingwood a chance? in your opinion, Sam Hargraves, to win the flag? Well, the most abuse I've ever copped in this job was Friday filling in for Sam Edmund when I'd gone through every game for the rest of the year and I'd basically done my tipping. And then based on that, I came up with how many wins each team were going to have. I looked at their current percentage and based on that, I said, well, here's how I think the ladder's going to finish up. I had Collingwood getting the 13 wins but missing out on percentage because they do have the lowest percentage inside the top eight. Um, And percentage is going to play a part in making the top eight and the top four and not making the top eight and the top four. I did say that they were going to get beaten by Gold Coast and and because of that, I didn't think they'd be able to get enough wins to guarantee themselves a spot. Now that they did get that win, I think they do make the eight because I've gone back and redone now based on that win, how many wins. I'm sticking with my original tips, Mm -hmm. but because they got that win, if they win the other games I expect them to win, they'll get 14 wins and that gets them into the top eight. Can they win... Are they a contender for the premiership? With all due respect, I would say no. Mm -hmm. They are number 17 for centre clearances. They are only ninth for goals per game. Um, They are 15th for disposal efficiencies. They're 11th for tackles inside 50. They're number 10 for contested possession. Their defence ranks number 10 in the competition um, in terms of points conceded. Um, and that percentage is, is a real concern as well, obviously, when it comes to top eight spots. They're the number one team for intercepts, but Darcy Moore, we don't know how long uh, he's going to miss. Um, because of those things, and I also just think that if you look back through what history tells us, you've got to be a top four offense and a top four defense to, to win a premiership. There yeah. are some outliers in that, but they're not top four in any of those, in those just two key basic areas. Because of that, I don't think that they can win a premiership. I'll be rapt to see them get there because I think it'll be just a, a wonderful achievement considering that I know of only two people um, in footy media that tipped them to make the eight, Matt Rendell and Josh Jenkins. So to make the eight would be a phenomenal performance from a team we all thought were rebuilding and probably coach of the year would be Craig McRae if he's able to pull that off. But I can't see them when the whips are cracking uh, in a final having a defence um, that's going to be able to hold out the best teams in the comp and an attack that's going to be able to get through the best defences in the competition. I just think they're just a little – they're one or two years off that. Yeah, I agree. I think they're just uh, probably one or two game-breaking forward types away, and that can be a key forward or it can be sort of a mid-forward game-breaker, X-factor-style player who – 
who is built for finals. They're just just off that, but that's but that only that might only take a year or two from uh, from from acquiring or developing uh, away from winning a flag. By the way, I love a a good Excel spreadsheet or a uh, or a Microsoft <laughs> Word table, color coded. You got you looking at, at mine, aren't you? Annotated, <laughs> annotated to the absolute max, and that is impressive, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go through that a little later on because, as I said, cop plenty of heat. Not only did I get abuse <laughs> from Collingwood fans in other countries, I got it at home. Don't worry, from the beautiful Evie, wasn't happy that I – but then her her nice little um, clap back to me was, well, given how your tipping goes, I'd rather you tip <laughs> against us. My best mate sent me the middle finger emoji because I had Col- uh, St Kilda missing the eight. Uh, so that was good fun, but we'll go through that, uh, again as well. All right. What are we swiping on next? Uh, so Gary Lyon this morning, uh, was listing the teams that he thought could win the premiership. He had a couple of, uh, couple of teams there. There's quite a few teams actually that he had, uh, listed that he thought he could. Let's have a listen. Well, at the moment though, you got, you know, there's eight teams there that possibly tell me which of these teams you've ruled out as possible premiership winner. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got Melbourne. They're still in it, yep. Yep. Brisbane? Yep. Carlton? I have, yep. Geelong? Yes. Fremantle? Yep. Richmond? Yep. St Kilda? Nope. Collingwood? Not for me. Okay. And the Dogs? No. But that's just my humble Okay, so you've still got Melbourne, Brisbane, Carlton, Geelong, Fremantle and Richmond that can win the flag. Yeah. Oh, you didn't say Sydney. Well, uh, sorry, I've, met, I've left them out. And Sydney, do you yeah. think they can win the flag? No, no. I don't think they can win the flag. No, no. So out of those, uh, what was it, about nine teams I wrote it off, he had six ticked down for premiership contention. Right. With a third of the season to go, do you have as many as six premiership contenders still alive? No. No. I'm not convinced that Frio are there quite yet. I love what they've been able to do this year. I like Fremantle, though. I really want to. I I do like them, and I really hope they they are in contention. Yeah, they've got some offensive concerns as well. When they you do. look at when you look at those numbers with the ball in hand, um, their system, though, Lockie Neal said, is the second best that the Brisbane have played against. Yeah. Um. So I don't discount them, but I've I've probably I, I look to me and a, Carlton again another phenomenal year. If they can get some help back defensively. Uh, I still think they're prone to lapses. That was a, that was a. I think that was a game they should be bitterly disappointed in losing against St Kilda, even though St Kilda are another team that's in contention for the top. But those are the games you just have to win. I know other teams have beaten other teams. I know that's the year, but we are getting to the point now where they had a top four spot on the line and they weren't able to get the job done. Um, their goal kicking accuracy worried me um, off the back of that game. So I've probably got it at four and a half. Carlton, maybe. Jury's still out for me. I still think that Melbourne, uh, I, th- I, I think it's Melbourne, Brisbane, um, or Geelong, really. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's my group exclusively. I don't think I have any more than three. Uh, as far yeah, as... So actually, I probably don't have... I've probably got three and a half. Yeah. I think Melbourne, Geelong, Brisbane... And then if I had to put a fourth in, I'd probably go with Carlton yeah. at this stage. But but maybe I'm just not seeing something in Frio that everybody else is. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of halfy on because I I still want to have the faith on in Fremantle. So I'm probably half in on Carlton and Fremantle. But but as far as believing in a team to have the actual premiership winning minerals, Melbourne, Geelong, Brisbane for me are, are the ones that I can sort of stamp my flag or stamp my flag in the ground for. 
Yep. Uh, what's next? Uh, we have uh, no audio here. David King, uh, I think it was on first crack on mm. Sunday night, uh, said that Melbourne have the uh, the toughest midfield trio in the game and probably of the last couple of generations with Petraka, Oliver and Viney. Do you find that to be true? Oh, I'm going to have to swipe left on that <laughs> because my mind just goes to Voss Black Lappin. Same. I just that was I can't, the, the first place I can't go well. past that. How can you go past that that Brisbane? Uh, I love Kingy. I love Kingy to bits, but yeah, Voss Black Lappin, and then with Power and Akimanis going through there as well, and others at various stages. But the the key trio, <laughs> the key trio. Um, I mean, wouldn't it be? I mean, when you it's 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 a futile exercise, a futile exercise at times to go. What about this midfield? Be that midfield, but you would love to see Voss Black Lap and go up against um, Viney Petrarca and Oliver. Yeah, I, I think this one's. I think this one is a little easier to measure from generation to generation because normally when we when we do that, it's just who's who's better, and that's very broad. But we're specifically talking about who's toughest. Here, so it's only one quality we're measuring on. Yeah. So it's well, easy to sort of narrow it down. So Voss, I think, is probably the toughest player that I've I've ever seen, um, along with a couple others in there as well. Um, Lappin, what did he play with broken ribs in that grand in final? The grand final, yeah. Um, Simon Black is as durable um, and tough in terms of that the gut bust running, the, the territory that he covered, always under a heavy, heavy tag. Um, he was one of the best players of his generation, um, and as and as tough as they come in, within a. a, a a style of an era where you just had to be um, tough in the clinches. So I would say with all due respect that yeah, I'll have Voss Black Lappin as the toughest midfield um, of recent times. The midfield trio, the, the Melbourne trio have tough quality. Like Jack Viney is genuinely tough. Um, Petraka and, and Oliver are sort of, you know, they're inside or, you know, can Oliver's more inside bullocking around. Petraka's a big body who can bustle through the outside. But if you're looking for tough grit, it's I can't go past Brisbane. What's next? Uh, let's go. By the way, if you've got – throw up another nomination, uh, the toughest yeah. midfield group. I mean, the Sydney midfield group, you know, of Kirk, um, Bolton, um, who am I forgetting? There's a couple more. That, that, that was a tough midfield group. I mean, there's they've – had, They've had multiple generations of tough midfield. They've had – Kennedy, Jack, and Parker as well. Oh, so that's a ripper. That's a that's a tough. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough group. Um, you know, uh, you know Mitchell, Lewis, Hodge when he went in there. That's a tough midfield. Sewell, Sully was was yeah. was a tough tough bugger. <laughs> um, and also Selwood, Ablett, Bartell. That's a that's a probably not with not the physical um, intimidation factor as. With all due respect to those guys, as maybe those other midfields had, but I mean, Joel Selwood's one of the toughest players that's ever played the game. Who was in that Collingwood '90s midfield? Um, oh, geez, you're going back. Yeah. Which I reckon, as in I reckon, Buckley? No, the Premiership. I reckon we're oh, reckon 2010. You mean or 1990? 1990. Yeah, I reckon there's, oh, I reckon sure. there's generations prior, way prior yeah. that we could go back on. Uh, Judd Cousins, Kerr. Would we mm. say tough? Mm, classy. Yeah. Yep. Classy. Slick. Tough. All right. Now that's to- it. Throws throw up some nominations. Oh, I can't go past Voss Black Lappin for the toughest yeah. midfield ever. Um, but if you've got another one you'd like to throw up, please do. Uh, what's next? Uh, David Noble. Wayne Carey had this to say about David Noble uh, on Triple M. 
Uh, he won't be there. Results have, will di- have dictated that. There's no way that he can survive. This is rock bottom. David Noble will survive this season and be coaching next year at North Melbourne. Oh, I would love to say swipe right. I'm not a big fan of... When you do all that they've done to wipe the decks, clear the decks, completely turn over a list from oldest to second youngest, to change all the positions within the club that they have, the, the, the amount of upheaval that's gone on, they, they've taken more than a broom to that, that place. I mean, that is that they have taken mm. the a broom is a is a is a is a clean, but they've taken the crime scene clean squad in there. <laughs> there is not a shred of evidence of what was has gone on. That's they are that's that's a mafia style clean forensic clean. Oh, that's bleach <laughs> or you name it. Like you can't find a skerrick of evidence of what might have been there before. When you do that, I think that you are then duty bound to see through the term of the coach that you put in. I don't think it's fair to, to, to cut him loose after just two years yeah. with a list that they've got. He's had only two drafts to try and bring in more players. You can't replace what they've taken out in two drafts and two trade periods. You just can't. I, don't, I feel like that is just not giving him a chance to complete the job. And I think when you make as drastic change as that, that you owe it to the person you bring in because you're giving them nothing. Like you are starting them off at the very, very base level. You've got to let them see it through. Um, I, I think it, I th- but but I, I feel like they they'll cave to, to to pressure from outside influence and, um, it's yeah I, I would love to swipe right because I think that's what the, that's the right thing to do is to see it through. Other teams make those changes, you know like Carlton make the change with David Teague. Michael Voss comes in, the pieces were all there. David Teague just wasn't you know David Teague never had access to Kerno and Mackay at the same time and things like that. Mm. It happens where they make the change and I'll look at that club, that look at the turnaround, but you look at the pieces that, that, that they may have already had there. North don't have any of that. Yeah, they don't have pieces. I mean, they've got they've got bits no. and pieces, but they don't have the, f- like, you know, three quarters of the puzzle completed like Carlton had uh, at the end of last season heading into this season. Yeah, yeah I think, look, it, it logically you'd think, well, North Melbourne are having one of the worst seasons on ever. record ever. Yeah. So more, how, how more losses over forty points in the history of the game? How how does the coach survive? But but I, go I, back I and have a look at Hardwick I, and Clarkson. They had back, they took backward steps in year two. Yeah, not saying I, he's them, but yeah. And look, who who knows? We don't know if David Noble is the right man or not. But I don't think you can judge that after two years. Great I think, point. I think you have to give it at least a third. I think after three, then you, that's when you cross cross yep. the threshold. But two still still seems too soon. Great point. Fully agree with you. Uh, let's come back and uh, finish up some footy tinder on the other side of this. Uh, 1300 736 736 I'll just turn my own mic off. That'll make a couple happy. Uh, we'll be back after this on the Sporting Capital. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, England 3 for 286. I need 92 runs to win. Johnny Bairstow, 89 off 106. Joe Root, 82. Besto is the form cricketer in the world, isn't he? This would be fourth ton in five innings if he's to get over the line. And the one he didn't get a ton, 77. Phenomenal. Uh, we'll be going to that coverage, if it's still going, at about 11 o'clock tonight after the Sporting Capital finishes up. Jordan Canellis is with us. We're doing some footy tinder swapping left or right on the biggest statements from the biggest names. JK, what's next? Uh, la- oh, th- maybe the last one. Uh, with North Melbourne, so we're just talking about them, uh, maybe looking for a Luke Hodge type to come into their team for next season. Should they get a Luke Hodge type? An experienced player to bring in to help the team along? Well, 
without with the risk of sounding biased, there aren't really many, if any, other Luke Hodge types. I mean, he's a four-time premiership player, three as captain and two Norm, two-time Norm Smith medalist, multiple All-Australian. Hard to find resumes like that, but you can find experience to go with that. Someone who's been in a system that has achieved the ultimate, um, knows what standards need to be set, um, lives those standards, um, practices what they preach, knows their role, values role uh, above all else. Luke Hodge sacrificed midfield time because Clarko needed him in defence. So players with that mindset and that win-at-all-cost mindset, that's exactly what they should be doing. So I swipe, I swipe right on that. And one that I'd throw up... Mm. Um, and we've had them thrown up, you know, Josh Kennedy, both of them would be, you know, they've, they've achieved at the highest level. Um, we could Trent Cochin be someone not, I don't think he'd ever leave the Tigers though, but that would be someone like that. Um, he's again, went to be a defensive mid to do that. Um, a guy like Kane Lambert would be brilliant. And Nick Vlosten from the, from that Richmond era, I would go, go speak to Liam Shields. So in a champion Hawthorne side, he, found himself with a midfield role and won three premierships in a row as part of that team. Does it have to be specifically someone who's had success? I think so. Okay. So I was going to say Ben Cunnington would come back into that team because he's yep. been out. He'll have experience. But if you're looking for success, then yeah, okay, I follow that. Maybe someone like his, his body might let him down, but Jeremy McGovern as well? Mm, no. No? No. A brilliant player, but I think you want, to, you want someone who is a standard setter on the track as well, and with all due respect. Okay. And I mean no slight because he's an elite, he gets a million bucks a year, so he's an elite, elite defender. But I think you have to get a standard setter, uh, a culture creator, and any other alliteration you can come up with. Hey, Future Stars, nice work, JK. Future Stars up next. Thank you. North Melbourne now with Horn Francis. Here he is, the young man, the gun. Goes to Eugle Hagen, who puts all his skill on display. Pick one of the NAB AFL draft. On the Sporting Capital, welcome to Future Stars. Ah, uh, Yes, indeed. Welcome to Future Stars, all for Bravo Management. This show is dedicated to showing you how the stars of the future get draft ready by helping you get draft ready as well. And plenty to talk about at the moment. We're in the midst of the Under-18 Championships over the weekend. Uh, Vic Metro had a seven-goal win. Uh, Vic Metro had a... Uh, 27-point win over Western Australia, led by tall forward Matthew Jefferson, who uh, put his name up in light to the seven-goal haul. And uh, Vic Country had a good win over the Allies as well, a 33-point win for Vic Country over the Allies. So plenty to talk about, and it's great to have our, our guest on this week. Um, the Vic Metro team, uh, in their initial squad of 40, named 10 Oakley Chargers players. Uh, earlier in the year on Future Stars for Bravo Management, we caught up with their coach, Jason Davenport, uh, who's also coaching the Vic Metro side. But I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to speak to a man who was a father-son himself to Richmond, um, his father Graham, of course, and then he tried his hand over in the NFL and spent time with two NFL clubs as a punter before coming back and lending his uh, vast expertise to getting the next crop of stars ready. He's the talent manager for the Oakley Chargers. Jai Bond's been good enough to jump on. Hello, mate. Hello, Sam. How are you, mate? Yeah, really well. Um, gee, the Oakley Chargers. Before we we get into uh, the champ, the the Under 18s Championships, you guys uh, in recent years and, and over a long period of time have 
have just had a great track record in uh, getting kids draft ready. When you look back at, you've had six top tens in the last three years, Dacos, Rowell, Anderson, Eugle, Hagen, Darcy, Phillips. Um, you've got a brilliant track record with father-sons as well. Of course, an area that you'd know all too well, being a father-son uh, draftee yourself. <laughs> it's a funny one. I call myself a failed father-son, mate, but uh, thanks for the, the kind words. It's... um. It's a really uh, an interesting scenario we have at the Chargers, and you did mention a number of those number one picks that we've had over the last few years, and we also had Charlie Rowbottom, the number one girls pick, who was a, a brother-sister combination, so you can throw in the father-son, brother-sister, and, and we had a father-daughter just recently from the Chargers in Caitlin Matthews, so it's a really um, great spot to be in uh, the Chargers region that does seem to be able to produce a lot of father-son um, draftees over the years, and We've been really fortunate to have a, a few really big names, uh, as you mentioned, in Sam Darcy, Nick Dacos, um, and we've got a couple more coming through over the next few years and, and in this year's draft. But it's um, personally, uh, it's a, it's a great rule and it's it's a great, um, I guess, honour for a, a young male or female to be drafted into a club that their father did play at. So for me, especially, I'm, I'm passionate about it and I love it and I love to see. Uh, as many father-sons or father-daughters that we can have coming through the Chargers program. Hey, Joe, I want to speak to you uh, about um, the uh, AFLW draft in just a moment. But for those who might be curious, so as talent manager for the Oakley Chargers, just explain to us what your role is. Yeah, so it's um, it's an awesome role. Um, manage the, the Chargers program here, which consists of, of, of now the, the boys and the girls programs, both under-19 programs, uh, under-16s, and we run right through from under-15. So managing... Uh, all facets of the program from uh, the coaches, uh, the players, recruiting, uh, preparation. So it's it's an awesome job. It's just like a football manager's role, mate, where you, you manage just a football program. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity and, and one that's very fruitful and, and great, really rewarding at this time of the year. Speaking of rewarding, AFLW draft night, of course, would be exactly that. And for you guys, having uh, the first pick out of Victoria, the number two pick overall, the Fleming name is synonymous with sport, be it netball, cricket and, and football through uncle and uh, family connections, the Rankins, the O'Donnells. Um, this is a, a, a family with great sporting lineage and heritage. And Jasmine Fleming's going to add to that, p- taken at pick two by the Hawthorne Footy Club. You must have been really, really proud. We had her on last week and what an impressive person that she is. Yeah, she's she's super impressive, um, exceptionally talented athlete. Um, I know there was a time a few years ago when she was tossing up whether she was going to go with cricket or football. Um, and I'm just touching on the, the subject before. We had our older brother, Braden in, in the boys' program a few years ago. Uh, again, it's a, a father-daughter, famous father in cricket. Um, and we're just thankful that Jasmine did choose football. I know the Hawthorne Football Club is, is very thankful for that. Um, she's a, a very professional young lady um, and she's got a huge future ahead of herself. So we're super proud the way she conducts herself, not only off the field, but uh, but on the field, of, of course. And she played a really strong hand in, in a premiership win we had uh, two years ago. So we wish her all the best, mate. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Mum was a star netballer. We know what Dad did as a cricketer and uh, the Rankin family is, is part of uh, her... Um, her um, uh, one of her rel- relatives yeah. uh, for Geelong, and uh, Gary O'Donnell is her, is her uncle as well. So uh, all bases covered, it would seem. Uh, and you had Charlotte Taylor <laughs> taken to Collingwood, and also Caitlin Matthews going to St Kilda. So uh, another good draft for you guys at Oakley. Yes, yeah, yeah. We were super proud of those girls. Charlotte Taylor was a, a sort of a big-bodied inside mid that 
really is powerful and, and Caitlin's a, a really strong defender. So um, we were hopeful we, we, we'd get a couple more, but um, it didn't work out. But hopefully next year we, we can get the numbers up. But um, yeah, it was another successful year for the Chargers girls program. And, and now we, we're obviously moving on to the boys with a few more weeks left uh, before the NAB League wraps up and then the draft later on this year where we're, we're pretty hopeful to, to get a few more boys into the AFL. Let's turn our attention to the events of the weekend and uh, seven goals for young Maddie Jefferson in the 27-point win for Vic Metro over WA. Um, two goals in the opening quarter and then the third term where he kicks five goals and turned the game on its head and I think turned everybody's attention directly uh, onto him. What a performance that is and what a time to do it. Oh, no doubt. Uh, on the big stage there for sure. It's a... Uh... Mate, to kick seven goals in any game is extraordinary, but to do it for the in the national carnival is, is another thing. We he did have a game earlier this year. I think he might have kicked six goals, uh, three or four, and then another game he might have kicked one goal, five or six. So he can certainly uh, be very damaging in front of goal, and it, he's just one of those players that he can he can do it all. He can he can as we saw on the weekend, he can take the high mark, he can take this, the the contested mark in the goal square, he's kicking the lead. And what we really love about him is his character. He's, he's a wonderful young man. He's very well-mannered, um, very quiet, which is which is awesome. I know Jason really is a big rap for him. Uh, and I know he's been playing really well uh, for Wesley as well. So, um, yeah, super effort from Jeffo. And I, I think um, if, if those people didn't know about him now, they, they certainly know about him after the weekend's performance. Uh, obviously, we, on this show, we get a lot of people texting in, and when we talk about some of these players, they look for a comp just to get their heads around uh, what the, the, this player might be likened to, who they might be likened to, and what they're bringing to the table from a skill set sort of uh, point of view. Who would you liken him to without putting expectation on, but who does he play like? Jai? Uh, look, mate, as you said, it's always hard um, to draw comparisons, but being a bit of a Richmond fan, the first name that comes to my head is a young Tom Lynch. Um, but again, I don't want to draw any comparisons. Sure. But the way that Jeff Oak Pete, um, and also what we loved about him this year is, is his defensive work. Um, there was a number of games early where his, his pressure uh, down forward caused turnovers, and that's what we like to see at this age is, um, you know, the contest work and, and all that sort of stuff. And you can see what they're going to what they're going to generate as they get older and they and they develop and they get big and strong. Um, but yeah, so that's I don't want to throw throw any names out there. But if he turns out to be anything like Tom, um, you know, have a pretty pretty good career. Uh, it's something that, as you know, recruiters look at really strongly. It, it is, you know, it, and it's well, it's another Richmond forward who sort of started this trend uh, a long time ago. Started becoming a key forward who puts on defensive pressure. In fact, Jason Dunstall used to do it back in the day. But we, we realise how important tackles inside fifty are now. Forward half pressure, forward fifty pressure. Tom Hawkins has been uh, phenomenal at that. Uh, over his career as well. So if he's got that string to his bow, um, you know, there's a word that we might even start to try and create called draftability. I'd imagine that would increase his draftability no end. It's one thing to kick the goals, but the forward pressure stuff, um, that's a, a really nice cherry on top, Jai. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, and it just you just sparked my memory there. We had another father-son uh, last year, Morris Rioli Jr., who's, uh, I think we've all seen his forward pressure and defensive pressure over the last sort of, you know, uh, 12 months in the AFL, and you can actually generate a, a role for yourself and a position on an AFL list just from that pressure. And mm. we've seen Morris, you know, do it at the AFL level, and it, and it does actually turn games and that defensive pressure down and forward creates goals and opportunities. And um, so, yeah, it just it, it could certainly um, the word contest and 
an AFL recruiters love love uh, players that compete. Um, so if you can compete as it's coming into the forward line or, or vice versa into the into the defence and offence and, and cause turnovers and transition, then you know that's going to add you know another string to your bow because you know it's all about competing at the next level, mate. Jai, before we uh, take a break and, and come back and, and explore a little bit more about how you help get uh, these talented players ready for draft and um, the different, you know, how you work with the father-son prospects and helping them make that big choice, you've got one, uh, Owen Davy Jr. Owen um, Davies Jr. Um, he played and kicked two goals and had, I think, close to twenty disposals and, and was really impressive. A lot of people talking about his performance in the win uh, over WA. He's a twin brother, Jaden, not playing, but. Um, uh, Alwyn really um, turned some heads as well. Oh yeah, they're um, they're they're electric. The twins, the Davy twins, Alwyn and Jaden. Jaden's unfortunately missed this year um, with his second knee reconstruction, which occurred during preseason. They've been in our program for about three or four years. They came uh, down to board at Xavier, uh, and they came into an under sixteen program. So they've been in the Chargers system for quite some time. They're they're fantastic young men. And, and the way they've developed for Elwin, especially this year, um, we talk about defensive pressure. He's he's at elite pace, the way he can run down tackle, but his, his evasiveness, ball use, um, it's been a, a delight to have him in our program. Um, I feel like we've we've just got an embarrassment of riches mm. in the charge this year, and it, it's just it's awesome to be able to talk about these these young men. I know he's had a had a big start to this this year, this year, uh, the year with us, and he's played some good footy with Xavier as well. Um, but it's awesome to see them perform, I guess, on the big stage. They get to nationals and, and in the um, All-Australian team earlier this year in Frankston. Has he declared yet for Essendon, or is that decision still to come? I think that's, the decision will, will probably come later on this year, um, closer to the draft. But um, if, if I was Essendon, and, and obviously I mentioned before about the history of the father-son, and um, I, would, I would love to see him. Um, personally, end up at Essendon if that if that pans out, um, and it'd be it'd be awesome to have his brother Jaden end up there as well. I know I'd, I'd love to see them both play together in the future. I haven't been able to see it in the last couple of years because of injury. Um, yeah, fingers crossed, it all works out. If it doesn't, then hopefully they both get an opportunity in the AFL system at some, somewhere. Jai Bond, our special guest on Future Stars for Bravo Management. Uh, when we come back, plenty more still to get through. How do you manage those who are injured through this important under-18 championships, the management of the father-son prospects? It's all on the other side of the break on Future Stars for Bravo Management. You're listening to Future Stars on the Sporting Capital. Ah, yes, indeed, our special guest this evening, Sam Hargraves with you. I'm not the special guest. Uh, just flying solo. No Liam Pickering. Uh, no pitch either. They're up at the under-16 championships looking for the next crop before the next crop come through later on this year. We've spoken AFLW draft with our special guest. Uh, and we're focusing in on the under-18 championships at the moment. Ten of the 40 in the squad selected for Vic Metro were from the Oakley Chargers. Five of those guys played. We've spoken about Matty Jefferson, who kicked seven. Alwyn Davies Jr., father-son prospect for Essendon. Uh, he kicked two and had around 20 disposals. A few others in that squad to talk about and plenty more in regards to the role that Jai plays in the build-up to the under-18s national draft. Uh, Jai, thanks for sticking around and, and for being with us. The um, So you had five of the ten that were named in, in the initial squad for Vic Metro uh, able to play. Um, just give us a rundown on how the other three performed uh, over the weekend. Well, we had, a, as you said, we had a number of 
selected, which was a great result. We, we've unfortunately had a number that were unavailable due to injury, um, which we can probably talk about as we move through. But we had Blake Dury, who's a small forward midfielder. Um, he had a, an, another good game. Uh, I think he had a mid-20s possessions and, and maybe hit the scoreboard. Uh, Hudson O'Keefe, who's a 200-centimetre ruckman, Obviously, he's going to be on the draft boards being 200 centimetres and he's mm. really competitive. He's developing really well for us. He played well as well. Uh, Josh Weddle, the super athletic. Um, well, he's a bit of a hybrid. He can, he can play anywhere. Uh, he's played down back for the last few games for, for Vic Metro and we use him off the half-back half back line, but he's, he could play anywhere, Josh Weddle. Um, and I think that was it for us on the weekend. We did have a number of injuries uh, that I mentioned earlier. Jerome Lawrence son of Stephen from, from Hawthorne was, was unavailable due to injury. We had, uh, obviously, Georgie Wardlaw was injured. Elijah Sardis was injured. Uh, Max Kovechki was injured. I don't think he made the final squad due to his knee injury. And we had Luke Teal, who um, was missing with a broken collarbone. We also had Chaco Sullivan missing with a broken collarbone, who was due to represent big country. So um, there's a few names there yeah. that we can, we can go through if you like. Otherwise, um, yeah, so... Where you want to start, mate? Well, there's plenty of places to start. I want to ask you about George Wardlaw. So a lot of talk at the moment around Will Ashcroft. So uh, father-son prospect, uh, Marcus Ashcroft, uh, of course, uh, he's premiership-winning father with the Brisbane Lions. He grew up there, but they've moved down here. Uh, there's a big decision for him to make about whether to commit uh, to the Brisbane Lions as a father-son or whether to, to, to go into the national draft. And at the moment, uh, you'd be taken, uh, if he is to go number one, looking at being taken by North Melbourne. But there's a lot to play out, obviously, between now and then. But a name that he's thrown up as a potential number one pick um, and, and people highlighting his match-winning abilities and X-factor to him. Talk to us about George Wardlaw, because what we understand is that this is a young man with immense talent. Oh, I'm going to have to agree there. Uh, he has, has immense talent and he's a game winner. Uh, I, I, I don't want to draw comparisons, but he, he the closest thing we can probably draw to in our program is, is a Matt Rowe. It doesn't accumulate uh, possessions like Matt did, but he, he, the way he wins the contest, he thrives on the contest and the way he can he can influence games. Uh, and his, his X factor is extraordinary. Um, He's a pleasure to, to have in the program. He's got a great personality. He's a, he's a local Oakley boy, which is which is great for the program. Uh, and like Matty Rowley did win best on ground in the Australian game versus the VFL team. So there are some comparisons there. Um, and he's worth every conversation that, that we have with this number one pick. Um, yeah, so it's uh, exciting to have him in the program as well. He has got a slight hamstring issue at the moment. But to have himself, uh, Ashcroft and Elijah Sardis in that in those conversations, it's um, again really exciting for for two programs that, that, that sort of border on each other. And it, um, when you sort of boil it down and you, and you think about regions, Sandringham, Oakley, they're so close together. Yet they they do seem to produce a lot of talented footballers over the last few years. So it's, I don't know what's in the water down this Warrigal Road end or southeastern suburbs, but something <laughs> good is is allowing these kids to be. Um, you know, budding young athletes. Yeah, and it's it's, uh, it's always a bit of a competition between all, all of us. It's friendly, like we're all one one region, one team. But it's, it's always a bit of competition between our two regions. Talk to us about Elijah Sardis, who's injured as well at the moment, wasn't able to play for Vic Metro. But you mentioned his name up there uh, in the Ashcroft and uh, Wardlaw conversation. Yeah, it's, um, they they did. They certainly had a battle those three early early in the year when Sandringham played Oakley. They, they all just accumulate the ball. Um, they're all very, very talented young men. 
uh, Elijah just probably does accumulate uh, and use the ball really well. His, his skills are elite. He's strong above his head. His ball use, his decision making, um, his, his aerobic ability allows him to to move forward, move back, um, hurt you on transition. Um, is is probably mid 180 centimeters in athletics. So he's he's a prototypical AFL player, um, and he has played some really good footy for Wesley College earlier this year as well. Um, you know, he's really disappointed. He's going to miss, uh, hopefully come back for the, the last half of this national carnival. But if he doesn't, we, we'll hopefully get him back at the back end of the season so um, we can all see the talent that he has uh, towards the end of the year. Jai Bond is our special guest on uh, Future Stars for Bravo Talent Management. He is the talent manager for the Oakley Chargers, runs their football program uh, for the boys and the girls. So... This period, this under-18 championship period, we know that recruiters put a lot of stock uh, into this, Jai. So for your players that miss, the first thing I'd imagine any young person would be a bit of panic. Oh, no, I'm going to miss, especially for those who might be in their final year. You can bring some back as an an above-age player. But how do you manage the guys who aren't able to play in this and make sure that they're... You know, you're able to calm them, to centre them, um, to support them. How important is your role in, in, in that for this time of the year, not just for the players that are playing and managing their expectations, but managing, because they might not have the carnival that they wanted to have, but managing the expectations for those who can't play in it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one, but it's also an extremely important part of our roles, and it has become even more so over, over the last few years. Um, we do invest a lot of um, time and energy into the well-being side of things, um, having sort of been through more setbacks than than uh, than than wins, I guess in my own career, I do really understand the pitfalls and the, I guess the you know dealing with adversity and dealing with um, setbacks for our young athletes. Uh, we do have Heath Black here who runs the well-being um, side of things for our program and also the the Vic Metro program, and obviously being the first uh, player draft from the Chargers really has a, a depth of history that he can, mm. he can lose and he's had his own battles on oh. and off the field that, yeah. that really does uh, lend itself to uh, assisting our, our young athletes, male and female, if they are unable to perform, not only at the National Carnival and all selected in NAB League and all through injury. But it's something that um, we take very seriously and, and do put a lot of emphasis on it because at the end of the day, we do carry a list of sometimes up to 60 players and we can only field a team of 23 each week. Um, and as you've seen here, we've got, you know, just over a dozen players selected in the in the national carnival. With almost half of those being unavailable due to injuries, so there's obviously going to be some upset players, um, you know, through this uh, process. But the way you've just got to manage your expectations, and if you're injured, unfortunately, that's part of football. Um, we've got to we've got to learn to deal with that, and we've got to learn how to to be professional and and rehab and get better and and make you know certain goals as as we go along along the pathway to hopefully getting drafted and into the AFL. And along with Heath and you know Jason Davenport, our coach is is very much on board this side of things. And we look at it as a holistic approach. Um, and we're no different to any other NAB League teams, mate. But it's just something that you know we do have a bit of experience um, managing this with the amount of change we do have each week. And you know each. Um, you know, with the APS and then the, uh, the carnival. So there's a lot of management of expectation and management of players uh, in our program, especially. So, Joy, with father-sons, you guys have had a ton of them. Jack and Ben Silvani, Nick and Josh Dacos, Tex Wanganin, Sam Darcy, Jack McRae, Luke McDonald, uh, Jack Viney, 
Um, you mentioned Morris Rowley Jr., and, and I'm sure I'm missing a ton, but those are just some of recent times. When it comes to the father-sons or, or father-daughters, um, is it a different manage? Because they've got to make a call sooner or later. Do I follow in the footsteps or do I forge my own path? Is that a unique manage in and of itself for those players in your role? I think so, mate. It's, um, you know, I'll just quickly sort of bring in all these thoughts into my head. I think there was Noah Anderson, son of Dean. Obviously, that wasn't father-son. We had Tommy Graham, son of Mark Graham um, over the years. Lockie Johnson, son of, son of Chris. We've got Preston, uh, Chris's other son in our program at the moment. We have Kynan Brown, son of Nathan from Melbourne next year. Will Elliott, son of Matthew from the cricket scene. So there's, there's a lot of father-sons and father-daughters, as you mentioned, but it is, a, and, and Jerome Lawrence, as you mentioned earlier, it is a, a different scenario. Um, I always thought of, thought of it, it is a bit of an advantage. Um, as growing up myself, it's, it's certainly an advantage because you do get, um, you do have that pathway there for you if you're good enough. Um, it's also can be seen as a, a bit of a, not a disadvantage, but it does come with its own problems. You do have the spotlight on it at far earlier age than, than some of the other players and it, you've got to learn to deal with that and the expectations of will you succeed will you be as good as your dad or will you you know will you be able to follow down the footsteps and you're always compared and probably do get scrutinized a lot earlier so uh, along with the benefits that do come with being able to be picked father son and having the, the bidding process and uh, that ability from the nominated club it does come with some expectations and some management of those expectations um and a lot of the times the parents have been through the system before. They are, they are very well aware of what their, their sons or daughters are experiencing and going through. So that, that does help a lot. Um, it's all just about, you know, managing their expectations because they're all in the same position. They're just, they probably just um, probably have a bit more experience with, with their family situation having been through it before. Um, they suffer all the same pitfalls and nerves and excitement that the rest of our program goes through. Just the last one uh, from me, John. It's been fantastic insight. This one's really for North Melbourne fans who are uh, obviously going through a really tough year. Their team's only won one game and uh, there's a young man um, taken at pick three a couple of years ago who hasn't been able to get out onto the field, but um, he was the third member of a dominant midfield for you guys alongside Matty Rowell and Noah Anderson who went the year before him. Uh, he came up, you know, playing with the the, the Jamara Eugle Hagens of the world. And you've had Nick Dacos go last year, and he's doing everything we thought that he was going to do and more. But just Will Phillips, it must be tough for you, having had a lot to do with him, to see him unable to play this year. And for North Melbourne fans, talk to us about what they've got with him when he is able to get back out there and what you believe he can be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always it's tough, um, you know, in our roles. You know, you do ride the highs and lows, uh, once the players leave your program, um, you often you know, follow, always follow their careers and the ups and downs. And it's awesome to see Nick Dacos at the moment doing exactly what he did for us on the AFL um, scene. So that, that's awesome. And then you look at Jamara that's sort of coming in and out and Sam Darcy that potentially might might come into this team soon. And you look at Will Phillips and he was a dominant as, as, as any young man was coming through our program. And um, it was wonderful to have him, Rowley, Ando, Trent Bianco, Dylan Williams, all running around um, in our program. And sometimes, you know, injury and and um, when you get to the next level, sometimes it doesn't click as quick as 
others. Uh, he did come in early and, and did play some good football. He's got a huge upside, Will Phillips. And once he his body gets right, because he's a professional young man, he was one of the most professional young athletes we've had through our program. Um, and sometimes the, the transition for some is rapid and sometimes it, it does take time. But for North Melbourne fans out there, you know, his, his ceiling is high. He, he, knowing him, he'll be working pretty damn hard off the pitch at the moment to get his body right and to get back into that side. He's a very mature young man who, who will be leading off the field. And when he gets on um, and his football develops, then he's going to be a, a very, very strong player for the future. And who knows where the chips settle at the end of the year. But, you know, fingers crossed he could end up with one of our other players or one or two supporting him next year at the North Melbourne Football Club. And that would be really exciting for the Chargers fans and, and for people like myself that get to, to watch our young boys and girls on the next next level. Jai, thanks so much for your time this evening on Future Stars. Greatly appreciated. And for your Vic Metro lads, they've got two more games to impress. Uh, and, of course, the rest of the NAB season, um, which continues this weekend, of course. But they've got uh, South Australia on July 17th, and they finish up the carnival um, in September with the Vic Metro versus Vic Country game. So, mate, thanks so much for your insights, and we look forward to chatting to you again soon, a bit closer to draft night. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I actually just, just looked at my list here. I've just forgotten um, Isaac Barry, son of Leo, who's, who's missed, another, missed this season with, it, with the shoulder reconstruction. So um, for those Sydney fans out there, we've, we've uh, hopefully got him back on deck next year. But um, once again, Tan, thanks for having me, mate. I'm, you know, I could probably talk about our, our boys for the next few hours, but um, I'd love to revisit this in a, in a few months' time and, and see where we end up because... I've got some, some big hopes for our for our young men and fingers crossed um, we get some over the line next uh, at the next draft. Uh, brilliantly done. That was Jai Bond, talent manager for the Oakley Chargers. And that's it for us for another edition of Future Stars. All thanks to Bravo Management. Don't go anywhere without bias. Our dedicated lawn bowl show is up next on the Sporting Capital. Welcome to Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 135050. Get set, go. Local legends want it. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Ah, yes, indeed. Very good evening. Welcome to Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show, part of the sporting capital on SEM as we delve in to the wonderful world of lawn bowls for Bowls Australia. Local legends wanted. Search bowls clubs near me uh, and their proud sponsor, and major partner, Apia, proudly supporting Bowls Australia. We are all gearing up now for what's to come uh, at the end of July, at the end of this month, when uh, our Jackaroos take to the Greens in Birmingham for the Com Games. So a couple of uh, stars of our Jackaroos lineups joining us across the next half an hour. A little bit later on, we'll be joined by Ellen Ryan, who's heading over uh, as part of the Jackaroo squad. But um, before we get to Ellen, our first guest this evening uh, is a man who just came off winning uh, his maiden Australian Open title uh, in the para pairs at the Australian Open. He is one of our right-at-home Jackaroos, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos. He's competing uh, in the Para Bowls in Birmingham. Damien Delgado has been good enough to jump on the line with us. Damien, hello, mate. How are you going? Well, I'm really well. Congratulations, first and foremost, on your selection to the Com Games. I understand it's your first. How excited are you to be heading over to Birmingham? Um, yeah, it's, I'm really excited. It's starting to get more real day by day as we count down the last week before we start heading off. Um, Sort of been waking up during the night, not sleeping as well as as usual, getting all excited, waking up at two in the morning and stuff like that. So no, re- really looking forward to the experience. 
So, Damien, just talk to us about your journey uh, to, to, to get to where you are now, about to board a plane to Birmingham, your journey to bowls and to para bowls. Um, so, for me, I had a, a car crash back in 2008. Um, yeah, spent a good portion of a year and a half in hospital. Um, lots and lots of operations. But, yeah, for me, for bowls too, I, I sort of just fell into it. I was just at the local bowls club and, with my now-to-be wife, and the local greenkeeper just said, you know, you can get a, a, a wheelchair that will allow you to go on the green. And that was it. Six months later, we had a wheelchair made and built for the greens, and, um, yes, since that first roll-up, I've never looked back. It's been great. So before that, had you been an avid lawn bowler, Damien? No, not at all. Yeah, never, never played... I can't say never, probably two or three barefoot bowls things with some mates on um, end of year soccer trips and stuff yeah. like that. Never, never thought about it. Nothing at all. Um, close thing. I, I played golf quite a lot and had a four handicap before the car accident. So I've found it very similar to the putting, just finding your grass and your, your weight to putt the ball into the hole, sort of get the ball to the kitty. That was going to be my next question. How, how difficult was the learning process um, I gotta say I picked it up quite quickly. I think I had two two lessons with the the coach at the club at Cabarita Beach, and after the second one, he's like, "You want to come play lead for us in social bowls on a Saturday?" And I was like, "Yep, all right." So yeah, I, I picked it up really quickly. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So thirteen years ago, uh, when that happens to to now, um, obviously is testament to you picking it up so quick you've been able to, to forge a, a successful career in bowls and now heading to your first com games um what was it you you've you've had some pretty good experiences already and and you understand what's to, to come with the tour of the uk uh, that you went on with the jackaroos a little earlier this year what did you take away from that tour um well yeah it was it was obviously good looking back now that we're going i made the commonwealth games team it was good just to Get to the venue and see what we're what we're up against instead of the first time being for the Commonwealth Games and add all that daunting stuff on top of it. Um, but it was yeah, it was great to get on the slow greens. I really enjoyed them. Um, it's such a nice spot over there too. And to obviously my first tour to go to to Lamington, um, it was a bit daunting. I haven't flown in a plane for that long anyway, being in a wheelchair. So there was all. Um, all them sort of logistical stuff that was running through my mind. So, but at the end of it, once we got there, everything was all forgotten about there, and we just got stuck into it. And it's obviously going to give us a lot of um, experience for the, the games ahead, which is going to be great for us. So you're going to be uh, paired up with Chris Flavel um, in the pairs in Birmingham. You've already played a heap of matches together and know each other so well. How much confidence does that give you, knowing that you're playing with someone who you've played with so often, you've had success with? Have you got a fair confidence about you as a pair that this could be a, a medal Commonwealth Games for you? Yeah, that most definitely. Um, yeah, Chris and I, we've only been playing six months since I got into the setup in the Australian team, but we clicked really well and... Um, I think that's, a, like I said, very important that both of us are on the same page. Um, he sort of lets me do my thing. Um, I'm leading, so he'll let me dictate what length I want to play. And, and I've, I've got the confidence that if yeah, something goes not too right with me, that he'll come up and clean up anything that needs to be cleaned up. And 
get us the get us a victory. He's um he's very similar to me. So I think we we um we both clicked really well. It was like yeah, we've known each other for a long time. We're speaking to Damien Delgado, one of our para jackaroos heading over to Birmingham for Ride at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos on Without Bias, our official lawn bowl show on SEN. So Damien, um you guys are obviously know who you're going to be coming up against. You know who all the major threats are. Have you had a chance to talk tactics? I know that uh, the Jackaroos at the moment are, are really big into the analytics of bowls and looking for that statistical advantage that they might be able to to find. Uh, what about for you guys? Have you done much in the way of planning tactically? Um, we have a we have a little bit. Obviously, yeah, we got to play all the UK teams while we're over there, so we got this sort of see who we're up against because their teams were already named when we got over there. Um, yeah, we took some notes down about what length they were playing, what hand they liked, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think, yeah, like I said before, Chris has let me dictate the length, so I get to play sort of a, a game of singles, really. Um, and then from there, yeah, we've got a little a few little things up our sleeve if things aren't going right. But um, overall, I think it's... Yeah, as long as I'm playing well, um, I think Chris will compliment me, and we should we should do really well over there. Uh, brilliant. And in terms of high performance, as I mentioned, there's a lot going into this area of things for Bowls Australia and for the Jackaroos. Uh, Ellen Faulkner has been added as the high performance manager uh, for the Para Bowls team. What's she added? Oh, she's really she's great. She's she's really calm. So <laughs> I think yeah, with the boys, it's good to have a, a female influence there. And like I said, she's really calm the way she talks and her mannerisms and I think yeah once we get to the games and all that pressure and all that starts it's really going to have that real yeah benefit for us to have somebody so calm at the end at our end and on our um I rink and our rink coaching us um as well as she's played at Leamington so many so many times and um it'll be definitely an advantage to have her there with all tactics on the slower greens so you know she's been wonderful now, as I mentioned off the top, further congratulations are in order, Damien, because you've just won uh, your maiden Australian Open title uh, with Cooper White Styles. Um, big congratulations on that. What did that mean to you and what does it mean to you being able to look back now um, a couple of weeks down the track? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, that was yeah, that was a big highlight for me to win it with me. little mate Cooper. That was his first Aussie Open, so... Yeah, he's one from one. I was glad to finally get over the line. I've had a couple of uh, um, runners-up in the pairs and singles, so I was yeah, really happy to get get the win. But um, it was probably the worst game I played over the two weeks of the Australian Open, I reckon. Uh, but, yeah, Cooper was um, fantastic, so I couldn't have been more happy. Happy for him as well. He had his mum. They uh, they drove down from Mackay, a 13-hour trip, watched our game, and then got back in the car and drove 13 hours home so it was good to win after she done that for him as well uh it supports a massive thing in in any um professional pursuit or just any sporting pursuit whatever level you find yourself pursuing it at for you how big's club tweed been um not only just to, to get your career started and to get you into bowls in the first place but um moving forward and moving to what you are moving to with birmingham i know they'll be uh there up all hours making sure they're cheering you on uh, throughout the course of the com games yeah, definitely. I, I left the little club, local club where I was at to tweet about five years ago and it was definitely the best move I've made regarding bowls. Um, 
everyone's been so supportive there, management, Turles, all the members. Um, yeah, I, I can't thank them enough. It was really hard not to be able to tell them that I was in the team for the three weeks because we couldn't do anything until um, Commonwealth Games released it. So if I'd run into anyone in the in around Tweed, they were always asking. I had to had to lie to them all. I couldn't say um, the team wasn't released until the a couple of weeks. So yeah, that was really hard. But the club's been magnificent. Having lots of Turles, Kelvin, Chloe Stewart, and of course Lindsay there to to play with. It's given me so much experience and confidence to be where I am today. Oh, we can't um, we can't wait yeah, to see. I, I, I can't think that much. Ah, uh, sorry, Damien. No, we can't wait to see. Uh, just uh, how far you can go uh, in Birmingham. Wishing you all the best. Uh, good luck for what's to come. Enjoy the moment. Um, enjoy the experience, and hopefully it's a meddling experience for you as well. All the best. Thank you very much. Uh, Damien Delgado, uh, Parajakaroo, heading to Birmingham. Um, all thanks to Ride at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos. Uh, we're not done with our Jackaroos chats just yet. Ellen Ryan's going to join us next Uh on the other side of the break on Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show, part of the sporting capital uh, on SEN. This is Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 135050. Get set, go. Local legends wanted. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Uh, welcome back to Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowls show, part of the sporting capital on SEN. It's all for Bowls Australia. Local legends wanted to search bowls clubs near me and for their major partner, Apia, proudly supporting Bowls Australia. It was great to chat with Damien Delgado as he gets set to represent uh, Australia at the Paracom Games, uh, Para Jackaroo, and going to his first Com Games. And it's our next guest, first Com Games as well, has had great success locally um, in over 100 times representing Australia has also claimed three gold medals uh, in Australian Open competitions as well but she's heading over to represent Australia for the first time in the Commonwealth Games uh, and has won the coveted singles position as well it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by Ellen Ryan hello Ellen hello thanks for having me uh, well, it's an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on your selection of the Com Games. Uh, you're heading off this weekend. You must be really excited to get over there uh, and get amongst it. Yeah, it's just over the moon. I can't wait to get over there. I've, some of the last two weeks I've just been at work and I thought, what am I doing here? Like I just felt like I need to be packing and getting organised and practising. So, yeah, I was just heading down then town to um, get my last little bits and bobs. So can't wait to get over there. Talk us through when you found out uh, that you'd made the team. Uh, yeah, so I was, I was at home um, with my mum, dad and partner, Mac. Um, so I just sort of waiting for that text message to come through. And, um, yeah, it sort of didn't hit me when it, when it, when I first didn't get the message. Um, and then I was like, oh, my God, like I'm in the team. Um yeah, it wasn't a dry dry eye in um, the Ryan household, so it was really exciting and very special to share it with mum, dad and Matt. Because your mum's been an important part of your bowls journey, hasn't she? Yeah, she she always has been. Um, uh, one of my first club events I won was actually the club minor pairs with mum. Um, I, I think she was skipping me back then. <laughs> uh, I think times have changed now, but... Yeah, mum and dad, they've, they've always been my biggest supporters, um, always taking time off work to drive me all over the countryside and 
um, yeah, I'm very grateful and thankful for their time and effort. Um, from winning a pairs with mum to now what you're about to, to do, um, how how tough was it to keep it a secret uh, from, from friends and family, given that you had to sort of keep things under wraps for a few weeks? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. Obviously, we all got home from the UK and people sort of had an idea. They thought, oh, surely, like, these teams are now. So they, everyone kept asking me. I was like, oh, no, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know. It's announced, like, on the 30th and... Um, so it was quite hard to um, keep it under wrap and not exactly lying, but um, yeah, it was hard. So it was very exciting when I, I could announce it to the rest of my family and friends. You're, talk to us about your relationship with Christina Christie. You guys are, are best friends and you're actually going to make your, your Com Games debut together. It's um, Anything we do in life where we achieve a dream is special, but when you can do it with your best mate, uh, I think that would make, make it even more so. Yeah, uh, Chrissy's just, um, my best mate. Um, I count on her for everything. She's always got my back, um, whether it's at home or finding a new job career or at bowls. So, so lucky to have her and um, to be able to represent at Commonwealth Games with my best friend um, is really a dream come true. Um, I remember I was well, at BPL when um, the, the actual teams were announced, like the positions and she come up to me and said, Els, we're playing pairs together. Uh, we're playing together, Els. And I said, oh, oh, yeah, like triples and fours. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. And she's like, no, we're playing pairs. I'm like, I couldn't believe um, what she was telling me. And uh, we both broke out into tears. So it was a really special moment. Um, I've got so many memories together and can't wait to make more. Oh, that is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, you've also... Um, been able to secure the coveted singles position. And that's no mean feat when you have a look at some of the players that uh, you're heading over there with uh, in that Jackaroo squad. Um, you yourself have, have represented Australia over 100 times, but you've got some people that have um, uh, been doing it for even longer. So to, to get that uh, position, I can only imagine just how much that means to you. And, um, and I suppose knowing full well what that means, uh, I'm sure it would be quite humbling too. Yeah, it was, um, like, obviously all, all I was focused on was just making the team. Yeah. Um, and either way, I, I would have been so stoked to even play more in, in the fours um, to have some mates side by side. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the singles. And um, I've got Kaz, she's going to be my rink side coach. So she's been there and done it all. So I couldn't ask for a better mentor to have um and i know my teammates and all of australia get to back me and um so yeah i guess it's just myself i've got to believe in myself and know that i can do it yeah so that you karen murphy you're referring to there assistant coach and and i've had her, had the pleasure of chatting to her numerous times on without bias and speaking to damien about it the, the move now for lawn bowls into the uh to the analytics space and, and the high performance space, uh, looking at data, crunching the numbers, looking to find that competitive edge. You've got to, you're going to be coming yeah. up against the best singles players uh, in the world. So I'd imagine that um, you may be more so than pairs and fours and uh, you, you, you're going to have to be doing a fair bit of homework alongside Karen about strengths and weaknesses and, and crunching the numbers of the people that you're coming up against and yourself as well. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, that's the joy. We've, we've been having a lot of stats and um, we will be getting stats on other countries and stuff so we can sort of analyse and, and look into the players that we're playing, that well, that I'm playing. And um, like I said, Kaz has so much experience, so she um, pretty well knows most of the players and their game plans and their little antics. So she'll be able to pass it on to me and... Um, yeah, hopefully I can go well. What would it mean to you um, to be able to claim uh, that elusive Northern Hemisphere gold medal that we've never been able to get, but the squad we've got, you would think we're positioned better than we ever have been? Yeah, I think we've got a really good um, team and squad um, and HP staff. Like, everyone going over there is great, um, really close-knit. Um, we've prepared really well. Um, I guess we're probably the best prepared that Australian team has been. So fingers crossed. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't even describe what it would mean. Um, yeah, I'm just smiling thinking about it. So um, yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Ellen <laughs> uh, Ryan uh, is our special guest, uh, Birmingham-bound Jackaroo on Without Bias, Local Legends Wanted Search Bowls Clubs near me. Um, so, Ellen, talk us through what you're expecting to come out of the pre-games camp. You guys have already been there for a, a little reconnaissance mission in May. Um, you've had uh, Mount Tambourine set up greens pretty similar to what you're going to experience in Birmingham for you. There's been a lot going into the build-up. You're heading over there a little earlier than some. What, what's the purpose and what are you hoping to, to get out of um, th th that couple of weeks in camp? Yeah, I guess we're just so lucky to have Bowls Australia um, backing us and to send us over two weeks um, in advance um, to, I guess, get our body clocks right, um, make sure we're well hydrated and um, nutrition and just um, being able to prepare on those greens. Um, we've had Mount Tambourine, which was exceptional um, preparation as well. So, um, yeah, just that and more team bonding um, with the group. Um, we're already close-knit, as I said, but, um, yeah, just fine tweaking and, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. What's most exciting to you about the prospect of, of heading over? What, what, when, you, when you're lying in bed not being able to get to sleep because you know that uh, you're counting the amount of nights to, and the amount of days to go until you take off, what is it that your mind goes to that is the most exciting part of all of this? Um, yeah, initially it was to, um, be in the opening ceremony, um, and just being in the village and stuff, but yeah, I guess just being on the green and, um, wearing the Commonwealth Games green and gold, um, I haven't even seen the uniform yet, so that'll be a nice little surprise when we get over there, but, um, yeah, just can't wait to even just see my mum and Mac in the crowd watching and, all the Aussie other supporters there cheering us all on. Beautifully said. Uh, can't wait to see it all unfold either. Alan, good luck. Go well. Uh, I know you'll do us all proud. And congratulations again on uh, your selection, but also, too, um, being uh, at the forefront of it all, uh, playing in the singles um, is, a, is a real honour, as you've explained to us. So we wish you all the best with it all. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Ellen Ryan heading over uh, this weekend with the Jackaroos a couple of weeks early, Birmingham bound, and we can't wait to see 
how our Jackaroos do. We're going to be catching up with a few more in the coming weeks as we build up to Birmingham. And it's all for Bowls Australia. Local legends wanting to Bowls Green. It's just up the road. So it's Bowls Clubs near me. And for Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees, you can call 13-50-50. Get set, go. That's it for us on Without Bias for another night. There's more sporting capital to come on the other side of this. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, Brett Phillips is going to preview another big night at Wimbledon and talk us through all the major stories. Sam Duncan to talk all things sports media. And there's plenty more I want your opinion on. one 736 Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. one 736 is the number to call. The Harcourt's open line is always that. Uh, before we get to Brett Phillips, just a couple of things to keep you up to speed on or get you up to speed on. Uh, England have won the fifth and final test in their five-test series against India. It will now end uh, at a two-all series draw. Uh, Joe Root. And Johnny Bairstow steering England home. They needed 119 runs uh, for victory, and they got there without losing a wicket today. Uh, Johnny Bairstow, by the way, made his fourth ton in five innings. What a tear he is on. That is the definition of a purple patch. He now has drawn level with Joe Root in 2021, Michael Vaughan in 2002, and Dennis Compton in 1947 uh, for most tons in a calendar year for England. So phenomenal performance from Johnny Bairstow. Joe Root, by the way, now has more test hundreds against India than anybody. So he has nine. Ricky Ponting, Viv Richards, Steve Smith, and Sir Garfield Sobers, I should have said Sir Vivian uh, Richards as well, have eight. Um, Chanderpaul, Clark, Cook, Callis, Lloyd, and Weeks have seven. So... Joe Root continuing uh, to break records. And Johnny Bairstow, I mean, what a what a performance from him. So England have won the fifth and final test and uh, the series now ends in a two-all draw. Um, something that we uh, should have mentioned earlier, and I, I apologise for not, but uh, the football world um, very much in mourning tonight uh, after the death of Ray Gunston. He's the father of uh, Hawthorne star Jack Gunston, but... Um, a, a giant of the football world in his own right, a former league executive. Um, he was an interim CEO, a key executive uh, under Gillan McLaughlin. Uh, he left the AFL in 2020. He was acting CEO uh, when Gil McLaughlin was on leave during uh, 2017. He was uh, an interim CEO for the Essendon Football Club. He was a key figure in negotiations, uh, including the TV deal, Marble Stadium, collective bargaining um, and he was the CFO and general manager for infrastructure, major projects and investment in his time uh, at the AFL. He served Essendon at a time of great need, an interim CEO during the drug saga of 2013. 
having served on their board. In a statement from the AFL, Gil McLaughlin has said, Ray was an extremely valued member of the AFL executive in a time he worked at the AFL house with his ability to lead and complete major projects and for his strong values and ethical framework in how he conducted himself. He was a valuable member to our range of leaders across our industry and it was my privilege to work both with him and to count he and Mandy as friends. Ray was regarded incredibly high within the industry. He was wise and tough. His, his inability to say yes earned him the nickname within AFL House of the Wall. His work ethic was prodigious and his working day diet famous, surviving, for surviving on plain saladas and chewed fingernails. Uh, Ray was greatly loved across the football landscape and our thoughts are with Mandy, Jack, Kate and their wider family uh, at this tragic time for them. That was a statement from AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin and you know, we'd like to echo those sentiments and sending our best and our condolences to the Gunston family after Jack Gunston uh, died uh, reportedly of a heart attack this morning at the age of 64. We're going to be speaking to Sam Duncan uh, a little later on in the show, our sports media expert from Holmes Glen. And a couple of things I want to put on the agenda from him before we get to BP to talk all things uh, Wimbledon. Um, Travis Old, the... the uh, Travis Old, uh, who uh, holds the uh, key title at the AFO, AFL CFO and GM of Broadcasting and Clubs, uh, was on Sports Day yesterday and spoke about a couple of things, one of those being Thursday night football. I think we're seeing more Thursdays. And I think Gil's already been on record as saying he'd like to see more Thursdays. So when he, he likes to see something, it normally happens. And so we'll see, we'll see more Thursdays. Um, and I think that you, know, you can see why fans love them. It's a real feature. It's just getting the balance right. In terms of the right venues, right time of year, right matchups, we'll need a few more days. You know, we've got five day breaks. One club, uh, each club, gonna have one each. Sorry, um, we might need a bit more uh, leeway there. Um, but yes, I think the, the short answer to your question is um, we'll see some more this year. I think we're aiming for about ten, so I think we'll see a few more than that next year. Having eight to ten means you can be quite selective about the time of year, yep. year and the location. Um, it can be a little less so now, and some of that's a bit. Um, circumstantial in terms of what teams are available and, and so forth. But there's the overlay of just the other complexities we're dealing with and getting people back to the football as well. And so it's a combination of things, but there's always good learnings. Um, there's no doubt there's been a couple of crowds we've been a bit disappointed with, certainly haven't met the expectations of the clubs. Mm. There's been some really good ones. And so we're, we're, I think we're all learning coming out of COVID, um, and, that, and that's certainly one of them. So that was Travis Old. So Thursday night footy, I think we'll get to a point where that's actually every, every Thursday night during the season. It really should be. Um, it's proven to be a success, um, and it, it, it enables us to not eat our own product. We're doubling up games uh, on the Saturday or the Sunday. Interesting, though, that they're going to be selective about the time of year that it, that it will be in. I would have thought, given by that logic of Travis Old, that you'd expect to see Thursday night footy uh, in the early part of the year, if they're only going to do 10 or a few more a year, and then in the later part of the year when the weather uh, is just a little bit um, more manageable. Um, I can understand why people aren't maybe during the real depths of winter keen to get to um, out in the open at the MCG um, in the bitter cold on a Thursday night uh, on a school night. I can sort of understand that, although I think that our the, our working lives are, are, are changing slightly um, and a few other things that can contribute to making it such a viable option, and it certainly rates well. But it's interesting that this year it's been at the depths of winter and now we're starting to come out, well, we will be coming out of that, that we seem to be done and dusted with Thursday night football for the year. You'd, I would think that it would come back um, in the, the more warmer months of the year. Uh, so that was interesting from Travis Old and spoke about the floating fixture will now be no more. 
we certainly listened to fans in clubs. Um, I don't know if there's much of backlash. As you know, we we fell into a rolling fixture through COVID. It was a necessity because we didn't sort of know we were going to be from week to week. So it was a true rolling fixture at one stage there. <clears throat> we went into this current season. I think we released nine rounds, nine or ten rounds up front. Still a bit worried about the impact of COVID, but we also saw some benefit in a rolling fixture. The feedback we got... <clears throat> from fans either directly or via clubs is they want a bit more certainty. Um, we had a chat to the clubs about that a couple of weeks ago. Their view is 15 rounds feels really good. I'd imagine we'll then release rounds 16 to 22. I don't know, Sam, prob- probably um, about round 10, 10 to 12, somewhere around there, yep. um, and give them plenty of runway into the last part of the season. Then we'll leave round 23 as a, as a floating round, which has worked quite well to set up the finals. So that's Travis Older from the AFL, the CFO of GM and Broadcasting and Clubs. The floating fixture, a thing of the past. So for footy fans, um, whether you're the travelling fan or whether you are the stay-at-home-and-watch fan, the idea of the floating fixture was to capitalise on best-performed teams in the best-available time slots. Don't know if we've actually stuck to that fully in the time that we've been utilising the floating fixture, which did help the argument against it because we didn't quite execute that particular goal uh, in the implementation of the floating fixture. But are you are you happy about that? Are you disappointed? Um, rounds 1 to 15 will be set in stone, and then rounds 16 to 22 will be sent out in around round 10. How does that sit with you? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Let's turn our attention to Wimbledon quarterfinals night. Uh, tonight, plenty going on. Uh, the one man we turn to, thanks to the Australian Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches providing quality coach education across the globe. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. The main man of tennis at SEN is Brett Phillips. BP, hello. Hello, Sam. Good to chat. Yeah, quarterfinals. Uh, last date, this is where you want to be in a major. Absolutely. Before we get to those, um, we've got uh, a couple of our very own who are now uh, into the quarterfinals. We'll speak about Ali Tomjanovic uh, and Nick Kyrgios about what's to come for them. But let's just have a quick chat about what has been. What were your views last night when Channel 9 have got to make the decision, do you stick with Alex Demon or do we get to Nick Kyrgios? Do we need to put someone on a subsidiary channel? Um, what did you make of what's been a bit of a... Um, a, a well, a... I suppose, a disenfranchised uh, number of tennis fans not happy with the way it was all executed last night. A little tricky. I was in there, Sam, when it was all happening at Channel 9 uh, last night, and uh, it's a... It's a it's a tough one when you've got... Mm. You know, we had three Aussies uh, playing at once at one stage, uh, and obviously, because the uh, the broadcast had been with uh, Demonor in this uh, roller coaster match, yeah. and he looked like he was going to win two sets to love, um, a difficult time to pull away from that. But look, at the end of the day, like, I don't obviously have any, <laughs> any say in those decisions, but uh, TV obviously is going to probably lean towards Kyrgios as the the, the, the person that, you know, the theatre goer wants to watch who's staying up at that time of night who wouldn't maybe normally watch tennis. Uh, and uh, as we know, it's a numbers game uh, in our caper, uh, TV uh, and, and radio and uh, that's the decision they made. It was a difficult one, and you know, obviously the Demon All match just went on and on and didn't look like ending at, at one stage. Uh, so, yeah, that's. I mean, if you're asking me, I mean, I, I still think, you know, we should start every tennis conversation with Alex Demon All, but we always start with Nick Kyrgios, don't well, we? So well, I went half and half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think he's been our number one for three years. I yeah. probably would have 
you know, stuck with the demon and made him the focal point, but he doesn't obviously carry the weight of Nick, so I, I get it. Um, but, you know, I suppose if Kyrgios does fulfil his potential and possibly win uh, the whole title, then, uh, you know, we, we have a different conversation. The um, Did you make much of the wardrobe change of Nick? Did it worry you? Well, at the end of the day, uh, you you should respect the environment you're in, in my, in my view. Now, Wimbledon is relaxing, no doubt, some of its traditions, and give it five or ten years, mm. and we might have a lot more of their traditions uh, relaxed. But uh, the, the bit I don't like, and I reckon it would annoy you, Sam, if you went into a press conference as a, uh, a legitimate uh, journalist, uh, you know, newspaper journalist, TV journalist, radio journalist, whatever the caper, um, you, know, you ask what you think is a is a reasonable question, and to sort of be belittled, I just don't like that part of it. No, There's no, no, nothing no, wrong no with that. absolutely. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that question, and that's part of Wimbledon. I mean, part of Wimbledon is mm. to respect uh, the environment, and, and and it's white. It's like going to Augusta and respecting the traditions there, and uh, the Masters uh, every year. And if it's it's surely that not, not it's not that much of a hassle just to conform for a couple of weeks of a 52-week year. Um, but, you know, if you want to just sort of rile up and challenge that tradition, I mean, is that necessary? I don't know. I mean, most, no one else does it. Didn't Agassi? Oh, I, can, I seem to remember Agassi trying to rail against that at one point. Or am I rewriting history there? Well, yeah, I'd have to think back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're probably right. But, but, yeah, to your, I, 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 but to your point, though, BP, I think that's absolutely fair enough. So challenge the convention if you want, but the question is a valid one, as you say, and it's interesting with Nick that the hypocrisy that sometimes I don't think he understands that, that he's swimming in and creating is when he talks about being and, and, and bemoaning the fact that he's constantly disrespected, yet he constantly disrespects journalists for asking uh, a reasonable question. He constantly disrespects officials and lines people. Um, I can understand where he... Where he you know, he, he can mount an argument about the way in which sometimes he's reported on or treated in the crowd. That's fine. But are you living the standard that you're accepting, that you're expecting from others? And sometimes it's a, it's a no. And on one hand, he says he doesn't care what anyone says. But then in the next sentence, he says, well, I've got a long memory and I never forget. And I've got a chip on my shoulder. So it's hard to keep yeah. up. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> what about, what about uh, tonight's, what about tonight's matches? Yeah, looking forward to particularly Novak Djokovic and Yannick Sinner. I mean, this is a generational oh, yeah. battle. Tonight. I, I love these. Uh, 35-year-old versus the 20-year-old. So Sinner has defeated the hottest young prospect in the game in Carlos Alvarez. Just to let everyone know that, hey, I was the first one on the scene before you all forgot about me and focused on Carlos. And, uh, and Sinner played Djokovic-style tennis the other night. He's returning, was painting the, uh, the chalk at the other end deep, at your toes, no room to breathe. This is what Djokovic does. He bullies you on the baseline and uh, it makes it really, really hard. So can Yannick replicate that and upstage Djokovic? He's lost a few sets along the way, which is going to happen, you know, the older these guys get. It's not just going to be total domination. So uh, that's, that's the match that absolutely stands out tonight. And look, for either Tatiana Maria, uh, Sammy, mother of two, 34. She just must be dreaming this is, this is heaven right now. Mm. Uh, versus Jules Niemeyer, fellow German who I'd never heard of uh, pre-tournament. To think that one of those could be in a semi-final, that's what we love about sport. There's a smoky that just you cannot even predict at the start of the tournament. So 
uh, for one of those. A nice paycheck, and um, the resume is going to look extremely different. Oh, it's life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. Um, David Goffin. Um, I hadn't heard that name uh, coming into Wimbledon either. He's got the number nine seed, Cam Norrie from the UK. And it's, you know, Henman Hill, as we used to call it when we were looking for you know, Tim Henman, could he reach the promised land? Um, there's some expectation building on, on this young man. Well, Cam Norrie is a, is a tremendous story. We were talking about it on the first serve last night. I mean, just, keep, just wrap your head around this just for a moment. So he was born in South Africa to a Scottish father and a Welsh mother who are both microbiologists, tough going living in South Africa uh, back, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So the family moves to New Zealand and he represents New Zealand as a junior. There's obviously not a lot of money in the Tennis uh, New Zealand Federation there to support their juniors. So he defects, he goes on a plane by himself as a 16-year-old to the UK where his parents obviously native Brits and he can play under that banner, went into an academy, went and played college tennis in the US. Here he is, uh, nine, ten years later, and he's uh, debuted in the top ten the last 12 months. He won Indian Wells last year, solid pro, and now he's getting his best result at a major. He's been on an incredible ride, this guy, and he's still only 26, and he's, he's almost had 50-odd years of life experience out there. So he'll have a crowd that I think is the loudest in tennis, Sam. Uh, no one supports their home players better than I think the Brits do. It's just a rule that is palpable over there. And I don't think you'll feel the pressure, but yeah, David Goffin uh, returns to the quarters for the first time in three years. He's a good, solid player, obviously being top 10. And uh, Norrie, um, though, I think might just uh, might just have his measure. And, and the other one here is Om Jaber on the women's side. Red-hot favourite to make the final from here. And she's a great story from little Tunisia in mm. North Africa who have never produced, uh, well, haven't produced any tennis players of note. Well, they have now. Well, they have now. Hey, uh, I reckon Cam Norrie might just draw a little bit of inspiration from the uh, the um, the English men's cricket team who've just had a record run chase, uh, the highest run chase in England men's test cricket history uh, to get the win in the fifth test to level the series against India. A phenomenal achievement from them, and I'm sure that they'll be riding a wave. It's one of the things about English sport is that success in one sport does tend to provide a lift uh, to the others. So they'll be in full voice. It'll be very exciting uh, to see them all um, as one in unison for Cam Norrie. Um, BP, just for Isla Tomjanovic, have you got a belief that there's more to come for her or, or is quarterfinals about as far as you think that her journey takes her? Well, uh, this is a much more winnable match than 12 months ago when she had to go up against Ash Barty, which was always going to be a formidable task. But this time around, she plays a girl called Alina Rabakina from Kazakhstan. Big, tall, strapping girl, long levers, really decimates that tennis ball. I mean, she is powerful. So she's going to build some pressure on uh, Isla. But the Isla game uh, is made of the right stuff. You know, technically world-class backhand um, and, and she's improved her mental state now and on court. She's dealing with adversity a lot better. This is a huge opportunity to go through to a, uh, a semi-final, but I think the winner of the tournament probably comes from that side of the draw. I'm watching Simona Hallett last night mm. destroy Bardosa. Uh, she's got the glint in the eye, a glint in the eye as a 30-year-old veteran, if they can call it that in tennis, uh, that she wants to win another Wimbledon. So, yeah, it's a, it's a play out. But I love a big chance. BP, always love catching up with you to talk... Uh... Talk, talk all things tennis, my friend, and you're doing a ripping job as always. And um, the the carnival, the Kyrgios carnival, which is what it is, it is it's something that is beyond 
tennis. Uh, it's also it, it's uh, hearing him talk about how he's staying in the moment. He's he believes that he's got a maturity about him now. Um, it's it's it is fascinating to hear where he thinks he's at as opposed to where the tennis media or the tennis world might think he's at. And he really is creating two camps, get on board or get out of the way. Um, he has split the tennis world right down the middle. When And and you've got Pat Cash who's, you know, saying, uh-uh. And you've got John McEnroe saying, uh-uh. But then you've got other people who are saying, this is great for tennis. It's it's bringing people in that we, we don't know. Um, I've always said about Nick, I'll do it like we are told to um, in terms of disciplining puppies and kids, just positive reinforcement. When he does something worth talking about, I'll talk more about him. When it means something to him, it'll mean something to me. And maybe we're starting to get more and more to that point. Yeah, I think he's been the most challenging for me to cover because uh, it's been a 10-year conversation, uh, Sam. I mean, uh, you reminded Extraordinary. me of that last yep. I've, been around, I've been around a long time. He's now 27, so... Uh, the, the amount of questions that I've had to talk about with Kyrgios, and, and I think yeah, you try and be fair. You're not here to character assassinate, but no, uh, his, te- his tennis is off the charts. It's yeah. unbelievable. So you can't you can't not compliment that. Uh, but you have to. I mean, we're all authentic. I think in not, not trying to be sensationalist, we're just being authentic, giving our view of the way he conducts himself. Uh, we don't know him personally. That's always the tough challenge of um, analysing sports people. But we judge him at his in his workplace, and sometimes we have got to pull him up because it's, it has been unacceptable and offensive. Uh, but who knows what's next? Uh, <laughs> you just don't know what the next chapter uh, looks like. But there are some likable parts of Nick. I'm sure his mum thinks he's the best son in the world. I'm sure Dad George, who's there courtside, thinks he's an outstanding son, and his sister. So we're only seeing part of Nick. Uh, but all we can hope is that he, hey, just, just, the people around him would say to him, just get the best out of your career. Yeah. You've got maybe four or five years, maximise it, set yourself up for life and be you, but also mm. just um, just be aware of everything that's uh, going on around you and and just respect what you need to respect. So anyway, we'll uh, Yeah, we'll no, I think that's all fair. You know, stand up for yourself, take on the establishment, but taking on the establishment isn't bullying and berating um, no. lines people and, 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 and officials that, that, that's where you lose. But if you want to say, no, I want to take on the establishment. I want to, you know, I want things to be a bit different. I won't just fall in line with other players and, and I will be combative to other players and, and to the hierarchy, but it, that doesn't include, uh, bullying people who are just trying to do their job. So, um, BP, Mate. I'm sure we'll be speaking about him again. Uh, and until then have a good night. You have a great show. We'll uh, talk soon. Uh, He's a very good man doing a ripping job as always. He's Brett Phillips. Thanks to the Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches providing quality coach education across the globe. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. Sam Duncan's going to join me after 9.30. What I might do next, I want to play a little bit more of Travis Old and get your thoughts on Thursday Night Footy floating fixture. These are the way in which we partake in football so they're crucial conversations to our enjoyment our engagement and our um and the way that we take in our magnificent game Uh, and i also want to just update you on my ladder predictor and where it currently stands Uh, we'll do that uh all in the next half an hour or so uh, on the sporting capital listening to the sporting capital with sam hargraves on sen who's my mention building for an early start there's no doubt about that um, I think one of the things that we're trying to understand is as have behaviours changed 
with not as many people going to the office on a Friday. Mm -hmm. We deliberately started a bit later on Fridays because a lot of people were getting to the game late. We're talking five, six, seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. That seems to be happening a bit less. And so a bit like we talked about before, I think there's a lot of learnings coming out of COVID. I think it might give us the opportunity to revisit start times. How it exactly looks, I don't know. It won't be anything for this year. Um, but there's certainly some changes in behaviours in terms of uh, patterns of people attending games. Would that mean you're guaranteed a, a few more trains if the if the game finishes sure. early? We've had, we've had a lot of feedback um, about public transport. And unfortunately, I think we're going to face into the game this weekend. And so we've... Well, are there more closures this, this weekend, Travis? Uh, it appears there might be. Um, we're trying to get to the bottom of it now, Sam. We've had quite mm. a bit of feedback today. We've got some over the weekend. Um, our ability to influence that... I don't know. Um, clearly, we'd like to we like to control most things. So if we could build our um, build it around our fixture, it'd be nice. Travis Old on Sports Day yesterday about Friday night time slot and when it should start, and the idea that the door is open and there's a possibility of it becoming an earlier start, given that our work habits have changed because of COVID. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. You're far better place than me to speak on this. Uh, I'd love to get your feedback. They're, they're, that's what Travis Olds uh, from the AFL, they're essentially asking for, and that is feedback on have your habits changed? Have your viewing habits changed? Because your working habits have changed. And then when it comes to public transport, uh, unfortunately looking like there could be some closures um, and some changes to the schedule for this weekend in terms of a public transport uh, point of view. So what would that mean for you? And does an earlier start mean that, especially for those in the country areas, um, does that mean it more likely? An early would an earlier Friday night start make it more likely for you to go? One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. I'd love to see us uh, bring back the if you've got a ticket to the footy, then you could ride public transport for free. Especially now with the car parks not um, coming into play for people trying to make their way to the MCG. But I certainly know for regional. Um, fans, an earlier start to night games would definitely make it more enticing for them to come down because it means that they don't get back as late uh, as they normally would with junior sport and things like that the next day, or especially if it's a Thursday night with school as well. Um, the other thing, curtain raises. Could under-18s become uh, a part of the uh, the AFL game experience? This has been a challenge for some time. We talk about just curtain raises or double headers more broadly, it sounds really easy, but when you try and get broadcast outcomes to make sure that that competition gets the exposure that you want it to, that there's you know grounds and all the things that sound a bit boring, but they're real, um, it's been quite difficult. It's something we talk about a lot. Um, it's something we had a chat this morning about, actually, in terms of that under-18 competition, how do we give it more visibility and prominence? Um, so we're not quite there yet. We'd like to improve it. Um, but there's little hurdles with these things that get quite frustrating at times. We want to put more and more effort into the draft uh, to make it a, a big event, and I love that. Um, part of the f- trying to make that happen is people, it's different to the what they do in America, especially with the NFL. By the time the players have had four years of college, they're playing in front of you know th- tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands. Sometimes they get 100,000 people um, at a college football game. They've been doing that in front of big crowds and big TV audiences for four years, so people know who these guys are. They already come in as names, so the hype around draft... Is, is so much more fever pitch uh, over in the US because these people are known. So if there are ways to get people exposed more to under-18 football, to state carnival football, then I think that bodes 
so well for, for the draft and to try and make that a bigger event. It will become a bigger event when people have more exposure to these players and know a lot more about them. And therefore, the excitement level would build about you potentially getting that player to your team. So some great topics and thought starters uh, from Travis Old on Sports Day last night. Hey, just a quick update. We're going to come back with Sam Duncan, who might speak to some of these, our, our resident sports media expert from Homesland. The, uh, the ladder predictor that I put into place on Friday, filling in for Sam Edmund, never thought something as innocuous would uh, cause me to cop uh, so much abuse. But that's how it panned out, uh, which was very interesting and quite alarming uh, how personally some people took me saying that I think on percentage their team might miss top four or top eight. Um, you would think that I may have shot someone's dog. Uh, the vitriol that came my way, it was amazing. Um but that being said, we're going to stick with it. So how what I did was I went through each of the 12 teams last week that I thought were still in contention to make the eight. Uh, and I basically went through and did every game they've got for the rest of the year and did my tipping from now until the end of the year before round 16. So how did I go? Well, from the 12 teams uh, that I went through, I got seven of them right. Um, for round 16. So Melbourne, I said, would win. They did. I said Geelong would win. They did. Brisbane would win. They did. Freo would win. They did. I thought Carlton would win. They didn't. I thought Sydney would win. They didn't. I thought Collingwood would win. They didn't. I got Richmond winning right. I got the Western Bulldogs losing right. I got St Kilda wrong. I got Gold Coast wrong because I had Gold Coast to beat Collingwood. uh, And I got Port Adelaide right. Based on the fact that I had Gold Coast beating um, Collingwood last week, I thought that Collingwood would end up on 13 wins and because their percentages was inferior at that point to the Western Bulldogs, I had them just missing the eight. And again, you'd think that I may have shot some Collingwood fans' dogs by the response I got. Um, All of that being equal, where that leaves us now, with Collingwood getting that win, so how I thought the top eight would finish before last week, round 16, was I had Melbourne on 19 wins, Brisbane on 17 wins, Geelong on 16 wins, Carlton on 16, finishing in the top four, Richmond on 15 wins, fifth, Frio 14 wins, Sydney on 14 wins, and the Western Bulldogs on 13 wins, just making the eight ahead of Collingwood on 13 wins based on percentage. And then I had the Gold Coast, St Kilda and Port. Now, I'm still going to stick with my original tips, but what that means is now after round 16, when I look ahead for the rest of the year, how that changes my ladder prediction, because I'm still going to stick with the tips and follow that all the way through the year. What it changes now is nothing in the top three, but because Carlton dropped the ball and couldn't kick straight against St Kilda, they don't finish in the top four now based on where I think they're going to get their wins and losses for the rest of the year. So Richmond now are jumping up into my top four based on what I predicted for their games for the rest of the year, the tips for the rest of the year. So I've got Melbourne, Brisbane, Geelong and Richmond now as the top four. Carlton to finish fifth on 15 wins. Frio sixth on 14 wins. Collingwood are going to get 14 wins now based on my predictions before last week. That will see them finish seventh on percentage. Sydney, because they lost to Essendon, will now finish on 13 wins and they will just finish inside the eight above the Western Bulldogs on 13 wins and St Kilda on 13 wins on percentage. So that's where we stand with the ladder predictor. Hey, let's talk some sports media. Our resident expert, Sam Dunk. And by the way, if you've got a thought on that, one 736 Big news tonight, Eric Hipwood uh, found guilty of careless uh, conduct. 
Uh, when it came to the umpire contact and the collision with Ryan Gardner for the Western Bulldogs, he's only been fined $2,500, though. Uh, for me, that's about as much as it could possibly be, given the vision that showed that Ryan Gardner initiated the contact. Some people have blown up. Mark Robinson's apparently gone troppo uh, on AFL 360 tonight, unhappy with that verdict. Have your say on that. Either way, you fall on it. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Sam Duncan to join us next to talk all things sports media. Listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, always a pleasure to delve into the world of sports media week in, week out with Sam Duncan, course leader of the Sports Degrees at Holmes Glen. Upskill your career, learn more, do more at Holmes Glen. Plenty to talk about with our man, Sam. Hello, mate. G'day, Sam. How are you going? Uh, really well. Hey, let's start with the uh, AFL media rights. Uh, Jake Nile reporting in The Age recently that Seven and Foxtel are still the preferred option of those or some of those within the AFL. There's been reports that Channel 10, Paramount Plus, could come in with a $3 billion offer. So if that's the case, doesn't highest bidder win or is it not that simple? Well, it often does, Sam. I mean, it's hard to reject big money. There's no doubt about that. So the more you offer, the more it puts you in the box seat, undoubtedly. But it doesn't always happen that way. And I was interested in that report to hear that a lot of the presentations that had taken place thus far were not so much about the money, but more what the the broadcasters and streamers could offer. And, And, you know, there has been recent examples from around the world of the highest bidder actually losing. For example, ESPN just recently won the Formula One uh, media rights over in the US and paid somewhere between 75 and $90 million for that per year. But Amazon, in the meantime, it offered more, around $100 million, yet Amazon were not successful. So there's other things that the sporting organisations will look for. You know, they're looking at the way in which these media organisations are engaging or can engage the the audience, how they interact with them, how many people they reach, their subscription numbers. They might even be looking at the you know, the package of, of free-to-air games versus, you know, games behind a paywall. For example, if 10 and Paramount won but said, hey, we're only going to show the Friday night game free-to-air, uh, then that might make them less desirable. So they'll also be looking at shows that are built around the product. So there's a lot more to it than just highest bidder wins, but saying in saying all that, um, money talks. Uh, it certainly does. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this plays out. It, it, it's it, Obviously, people are talking about it being a legacy piece uh, for Gil McLaughlin, but it's also uh, much more than that. It's, it's setting up the future of the game for the next five to six years. It's uh, as crucial as anything uh, that the game deals with. Um, speaking of TV rights, cricket. What is going on from your point of view between Cricket Australia and their free-to-air partner, Channel 7, uh, court proceedings have been launched fed, in the federal court by Channel 7 uh, looking to terminate the six-year deal, which has got two seasons left to run. What is happening here, Sam? Yeah, this is a really strange one. I mean, just from a stakeholder engagement and management perspective, Sam, this is odd. I mean, one of your biggest, if not your biggest stakeholder. I mean, sporting organisations always will talk about fans and players No doubt about that. But when you've got a stakeholder that basically bankrolls your game, then it's in your best interest to keep them on board. Um, And clearly that hasn't happened here. Now, the key to these partnerships is that both media organisation and sporting organisation want to feel like they're getting bang for their buck 
you know, like how good is this for the money we're paying? We're recouping um, even more. Uh, that's clearly not happening with Channel 7. They don't believe that Cricket Australia are pulling their weight, basically, in terms of making the, the Big Bash a better product. Now, they bought that back in 2019 for much more than Channel 10 did five years previously. Channel 10 had it for about $20 million a year, the Big Bash. And under them, and largely because of them too, it grew exponentially year upon year to be valued at around 70 to $80 million a year. Channel 7 obviously don't think that it's worth that much, and they obviously don't think Cricket Australia are adequately planning to uh, improve the product, and so they've said enough's enough. We're going to court. Now, I'm not a media lawyer, um, so I don't know the outcome, but if this happens, it's likely that we'll already be into the season coming up, so it might be more to do with the season after, but it, it, is, a, it is a bizarre situation. That's another watch this space because that's got huge ramifications on the landscape of cricket and, and the broadcast thereof. What about the value of a villain, Sam, before we finish up? So Nick Kyrgios has just recently called himself one of the most important players in the game, despite never winning a Grand Slam. So is he one of the most important players in tennis? He's through to the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. What's his impact and what's his value from a TV, from a media, from a marketing and PR perspective? So we saw that Channel 9 made the decision to leave our highest-ranked Australian singles player, Alex Demonor, last night uh, with the game in the balance to broadcast Nick Kyrgios. So the value of the villain, what is it? Yeah. Well, it, well, it's massive. I mean, in sport, there are villains everywhere, and there always has been. And if you go back and look through the history of sports writing even, editors would tell their sports writers to add jazz, you know, to dramatise their writing, to entertain readers, because people go to sport to be entertained, and then they pick up the paper to be entertained again. And within that, they would cultivate heroes and they would cast villains. That's what the theatre of sport is. And so historically, they've played a really important role in sport. They get people thinking. Now, at the moment, and talking, and at the moment, um, you know, Nick Kyrgios is doing his best to be, you know, public enemy number one. Uh, and he's got people talking. You, you can, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to do some commentary around the Australian Open um, every year for AO Radio. And it draws international commentators, obviously, from around the globe who are equally as fascinated by him as what locals are and talk about him as much as we do. And you wouldn't find a tournament director around the world that wouldn't give him a wild card because they know um, that he's going to draw people to screens, he's going to bring them through the gates, he's going to uh, attract a swarm of media and people who don't usually talk about media, uh, about tennis, are going to be talking about it. So he's worked a lot from that perspective. On the flip side, a lot of traditionalists say, well, what are you willing to sacrifice um, for entertainment, you know, what about behavioural expectations um, and conventions that surround the yep. game of tennis? So, you know, that's a debate that can rage on, but villains have always been an important part of sport. Sam, always a pleasure, mate. We'll speak to you next week. Good on you, Sam. Speak to you then. Study sports, business, health, or building and construction. Apply now, learn more, do more at Homes Glen. We'll wrap up the sporting capital after this. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM.
Uh, pretty much time to say goodnight. Appreciate all your calls and all your texts, the Harcourt's open line and on the temper text. Uh, so, Eric Hipwood, uh, just a $2,500 fine for careless conduct. Just some injury news uh, from an AFL point of view. Jacob Wiedering, AC, Sam Durden, Matt Owies, Lockie Fogarty and Ed Kerno have all been past fit for Carlton's match on Sunday against West Coast. So, good news for Carlton to be getting some cavalry coming back. Um, Gold Coast have confirmed that Connor Buderick has uh, uh, ruptured the anterior cruciate ligament in his right knee for the second time. Dusty set to miss two weeks with the hammy that he injured against West Coast. James Warple might not play again for the rest of the year, dislocating his shoulder. Dom Sheed won't play again after uh, a, uh, developing a stress-related lower leg injury. Bulldogs set to welcome back Adam Trelaw and Tim English and Ed Richards as well. Uh, and Nick Vloston's going to miss the Gold Coast game after they uh, he accepted the one-match striking ban from the game on the weekend. And, and I don't have any more details in this, um, and it's a, um, it's a tricky one to finish up on as well, but it just has come to our attention that Nick Kyrgios has been charged with assault of his ex-girlfriend. That's it for me tonight. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it, like um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.